0: Talk about the game, Sam. Who so. cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. Appreciate everybody being here. On Monday morning, live on YouTube as always. How you doing, man? Good. You? Great. It's your last show for weeks? Yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Huh. Like six shows. I mean, yeah. You've never missed that many in a row. <laughs> it's like the first you're you're almost Cal Ripken.
1: Yeah. Iron Man street, street. Well that's cause yeah, basically since moving over here, there's been no kind of vacation slash holiday time at all. Now you just got pandemic sort of that in a large large True. extent.
0: So you're gonna miss six straight shows or whatever it is. I've got some uh, I've got some plans. Yeah. With you gone. Okay. We do have Rick Spielman on the show. You're stage a coup, take over, run this thing the way it should be run. Yeah. We'll do a bunch of monologues. <laughs> I keep saying I'll have guests, but should maybe it'll be just you? be might be might just be me. You reading a book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's we'll see how that goes. No, it'll be me, Rick Spielman, this this week. So if anybody has any questions for uh, Rick Spielman, former GM of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Greg Rosenthal from around the NFL. We'll have our guy Trevor Sykema in studio for a little uh, positivity on one show. And um, figure out the last couple along the way there. Um, Before we get going, so we're going to do a charity drive for you throwing 60. We've had a few emails of people kind of giving their take on whether or not you can hit 60 miles an hour or not. Okay. Comparing to their own high school days we have seen an email for that. Our I've... guy,
1: Brent Rollins, messaged me on Twitter Yeah, with his son, who is now 14. Now, at 14, he's got some heat. But at 12, he was throwing 62. If a 12-year-old can throw 62, I can throw 60. Yeah, I don't, think I don't care understand. how good the 12-year-old is. I don't. I don't care. He can be the next who's the best pitcher in, the, in, in baseball. He can be that guy at 12. I don't care. He's 12. 12 years old. That's all I care about. That's gas at, at, at 12. I'm sure Six it months. is, but it's 12. If I can't outthrow a 12-year-old, what's the point? We, I mean, Albert Pujols, who's our age. I saw that. That was miserable looking. Is out there. I mean, he didn't look like he was trying to throw that hard. He knows. He also to. doesn't look like he's our age. So look, yeah. you and I are both carrying some extra poundage these days, right? We're not Albert.
0: Albert looked older than he was when he broke in at whatever, 21 years old, or right. whatever he was. So, you know, that's happened before, you know. My roommate added four years overnight once they discovered his real age one time. Went from 19 year old prospect to 23 year old. Uh oh, you're, you're too old. Yeah. You're too old for A ball. So, yeah, maybe maybe Pujols is 48, whatever he is. But he's still a major league pitcher or player. No, yeah,
1: yeah. Off he's- the mound. Throw it in the 60s i mean sort of like look he's some sort of legacy you know he's still playing i know but why like all i look as you know steve don't watch a ton of baseball but i've seen quite a bit of albert Pujols highlights this year, highlights this year and it's like what what is happening here why why is this guy allowed to play a professional sport Again, he's
0: in our age range. Yeah, and coming from a much higher baseline. Sure, of athleticism. He's also let himself go a lot more than we have. Guy in the chat could throw seventy when
1: he was twelve. I'm just saying, if a twelve-year-old can throw that, I, I can. I'm just saying, it's not, not All having right. it. All right. Well, anyway, we're gonna
0: we're gonna let Sam try to throw.
1: So anyway, throw listen. 60. We, what we'll do is we will decide on the charity after I'm back. So people keep contacting us email in podcast at pff.com tell us where we should donate money next time what i do want to do though is show you that we are raising money on this uh, road trip that we're on right oh yeah so nice. we're working with advent health's foundation that raises money for men's health and char- and uh, men's cancers those kinds of things uh we have a little graphic that tyler knocked up much to uh or using my direction i'm sure he's not happy about it but i gave him some little uh, Pointers, little fixes. So drivemenshealthforward.com is the website address that all this, where you can donate money and raise cash. But in the bottom left there, you'll see the social media accounts that we'll be using to fire out, like, updates along the way, right? We're going to take a ton of video, a ton of pictures, all those kinds of things. We're going to end up with, like, a 10-minute video at the end of this whole thing. So my Instagram, Samuel Monson. My Twitter account, there's a dedicated TikTok for the Jag. Uh, Monson Road Trip wow. is it on TikTok. And then, um, yeah, you can follow us the whole way. We'll be throwing up a, a whole bunch of content. It took me a good couple of seconds there where Tyler sent me this image to realize that in the picture I wasn't wearing a sweatband. That's the uh, the, the rear mirror of the car.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what it did look like. Right? Yeah, yeah. It Confused like, me for a little looks bit. It like you had a little headband going. Um,
1: but, yeah, so we'll be posting all kinds of updates. And if we could raise money for... Um, for men's health and, and cancer charities, that would be awesome. So I'll, that's my pinned tweet right now. So at PFF underscore Sam, you can find the link or com and uh, help us raise some cash for a good cause. Who's Again. running the TikTok, you or your dad? I think I'm running all of this stuff. I don't I don't know how media savvy he is, social media savvy. I mean, he can tweet and yeah. stuff.
0: I think you give him the reins, man. And in
1: recent years, he's become very attached to emojis. You know, wow. like he'll send WhatsApp messages with just a million emojis attached to them. Yeah. Which is really the hallmark of being old at that like, point. That's what my six-year-old does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of this is going to fall on my shoulders. And then at the end of this, we'll have like a 10-minute video of the <laughs> the disaster <laughs> mashed together and see what that looks like.
0: Well, that's great. Be sure to follow uh, Sam and Dr. Monson out on the road at PFF underscore Sam, his, uh, his pinned tweet. So for today... We're gonna we're gonna go through each team. It's gonna have to be rapid fire, Sam. You know yeah. how we do. Uh, biggest off seasons off season additions for all 32 teams. Before we get into it, though, the podcast is sponsored by Sunday. Even on Monday morning here, does your lawn have weeds, bare patches, or pet spots? Sam, yours might do. Sunday can help you solve these problems and more the easy way. They've got everything you need from fertilizer to seed seeds to weed control and it's all delivered right to your door sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals their custom plans include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn so you can feel good with kids and pets around i think i'm gonna get after it this week finally gonna apply this i think the lawn's ready there's a specific time frame you know you gotta cut it you gotta water it and all that stuff before but then it's as easy as 15 minutes, a ready-to-use pouch in your garden hose, and you spray it. That's all it is, 15 minutes. Uh, you, I was asking you off air, asking, you know, because we, we ask questions about each other's lives. I said, how's your lawn looking? And you said, looks great. Mm, just telling people about the story. looks great. You already used it. So Sunday's offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $129. You get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash nfl pod it's get sunday.com slash nfl pod 20 off your custom plan get sunday.com slash nfl pod all right man you ready to get into it yeah as always i uh, overreact to the most recent complaints that have sent to me Our so food. there are uh, fans from the west who listen to us the west from the west and so you always put the west
1: last we didn't last time, right? Me and, well, me and Austin I did our... I think it was the AFC. I forget who it was. But
0: anyway, we're going to go west west to east today. Anyway, I try to mix it up as it is. So we're going to start with the NFC West.
1: <laughs> you cut out the part of the message where the guy said he was taller than I was at 12. Yeah. Also pretty... So? I'm just saying. That's... All right. It's fine. E- early bloomers. There's a lot of those early bloomers. That's a big 12-year-old. I mean, again, assuming... Oh, it's a monster 12-year-old. That wasn't even that monstrous. That's what I'm saying. 5'11". 5'11". If you're taller than 5'11 at 12 years old, you're a freak. Just as simple as it is. Freak.
0: Freak. Some people would say you're five six, but, you know. Some people would be wrong. <laughs> it's a whole different story. All right, we're going to go through the biggest offseason edition, um, however you want to define that. Biggest offseason edition yeah, for and each so team. So what
1: insane order are you doing?
0: Uh, we have a document. Yeah. It'll be by division, so there will be timestamps at some point. Uh-huh. That will give you each of these teams, and but there's a document. So I just put NFC West in no particular order within the division. Wonderful. So this is... <laughs> just follow the document that I sent you, it will go team by team. Okay. Starting with the Seattle Seahawks, of course. Naturally. In the NFC West. Sam? Yeah? The biggest off-season addition for the Seattle Seahawks.
1: <sighs> Good um- answer. Honestly, it's probably like Noah Fant. Noah Fant? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying, look what they've done. Nobody in the draft. Nothing. Charles I mean, Charles, Charles Cross. Cross, maybe, but like Noah Fant is a, you know, legit receiving option, might have a bigger impact than Charles Cross. It's not Drew Locke? No. There's I, this talk he might not even win the job. Geno Smith's going to be the starting quarterback for Seattle. Geno knows the system. Yeah. You see. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I agree it probably isn't Drew Locke. Is the biggest – do we make this biggest addition or just biggest move? Because obviously the biggest move is trading Russell no, Wilson. No, you made
1: this bad. you got to lie in it now. The first team has no useful addition whatsoever. That's I'll say Charles true. Cross. Useful is harsh. No amazing needle-moving addition.
0: It's another one of those um, spread the wealth type of moves, right? We've got to replace Russell Wilson in the aggregate which involves several draft picks, two new starting tackles, mm-hmm. both from the draft, most the
1: likely. The flaw with that plan when it comes to quarterbacks is you can't really platoon at quarterback. No, you can't. Yeah.
0: Well, the aggregate of Drew Locke plus all the other draft picks that they got, which involves Charles Cross in particular, you know, Abraham Lucas, Abe Lucas being at right tackle, just all of these Lucas. players being added up to try to replace Russell Wilson.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the offseason for them is a massive net net loss because you lose Russell Wilson, you cut Bobby Wagner, DJ Reed signed somewhere else. Like, you lost some serious players, of course. Both starting tackles. Yeah, the most important of which being the quarterback that's dragged this team single-handedly to success in recent years. And your replacement for that has been Drew Locke. And, you know, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, Austin Blythe. Like, a lot of people added, but... I don't know that that can be anything other than a pretty serious step backwards. All right, so I'll go with Charles Cross as the biggest addition. All right. Because
0: uh, he's their first-round draft pick, number nine overall top tackle on the PFF draft board. And uh, with other teams, it's going to be more obvious. With Seattle, it does feel like, even though, you know, I didn't mind. I liked their draft. I liked their draft. It does feel like they're in the middle of a rebuild when you look at what they had on their roster last year and what they're going into this year. Yeah. And it's tough to say Drew Locke's even the biggest offseason move. Let's go to the Los Angeles Rams, the Super Bowl champions, their biggest offseason addition. Do you want to start this or do you want me to start this? What's best for you?
1: I don't care. Okay, you Whatever go. you want to do. Um, It's Allen Robinson. Ah, yeah. It is Allen Robinson. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I forgot about him for a second. I wrote down Bobby Wagner. I was like, wait a second. They did some other stuff, too. I mean, the Rams, they, they lost some pieces as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can argue that this one is a lateral move as well. I mean, they, they, let, they trade away Robert Woods and bring in Allen Robinson to replace him. You lose um, OBJ technically right, right now. You
0: trade Robert Woods, but Allen Robinson comes in and is probably a better all-around receiver than both.
1: I mean, Alan Robinson is a really exciting addition that is kind of flying under the radar a little bit this offseason because he's coming off a bad year. Um, but it's like his first bad year in the NFL, and the dude has never had a good quarterback. Never. Never. I'm talking all the way through college, all the way through the NFL, maybe high school as well, if you start looking at some of those numbers. The man might never have had high-level quarterback play. And he's been a consistent top-ten receiver in the NFL despite that. Has one bad year, and it's like everybody forgot Allen Robinson can play. Um, But he's not, like, old. You know, Allen Robinson is still in his prime. There's no reason that he couldn't still be legit. He's 28 years old. um, And he now goes to a team whose offense is cooking, who just had a quarterback who took the team to the Super Bowl uh, in the postseason. This should be a really exciting
0: addition. Yeah, Allen Robinson is one of those guys that you know, the highlight, real stuff, might make it feel like he's this just catch point winner, contested catch type of guy. But he's a good route runner. I mean, he really can do it all. He can definitely win down the field. And if anything, it's going to you know add a little bit of help for Cooper Cup, who was unstoppable last year. So, yeah, I'll agree with Allen Robinson. I think Bobby Wagner, probably second on that list, right? Even in his age. Um, even at a position that the Rams have devalued, you're losing the star power of Von Miller now that they, that, they held, that they used on their Super Bowl run. And we'll see if Wagner, you know, now they're going with Aaron Donald, Bobby Wagner at the second level at linebacker, and then Jalen Ramsey in the secondary, one of those uh, put a star at every level type of strategies. And uh, we'll see what Bobby Wagner has left. Still one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Yeah. But he has to be up there as well. But I'll go with Allen Robinson as well because we're going with the biggest offseason addition. Let's go Arizona Cardinals. Who's the biggest offseason addition for the Cardinals?
1: Hmm. Uh I mean it has to be Marquise Brown, right?
0: That's my initial thought. Yeah. It's your first round pick this year. Right. And Kyler's buddy. Yes. It's he- it's both a short and long-term play here.
1: Yeah, their second-round pick was Trey McBride, and he might be a big addition as well, but he's coming into a pretty crowded room already in terms of Zach Ertz and Max Williams, who were both re-signed at the tight end position. I suggest that Trey McBride being drafted in the second means that Max Williams' you know, role in this offense dramatically diminishes, and he may end up being a short-term see-you kind of candidate, but he's there at the moment. Um, Marquise Brown comes in. DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for a few games, so he's immediately going to be the number one guy and a pretty consistent number one target, I would think. So yeah, it's it's tough to find another addition that would be that would rival that. No,
0: I think I mean I think it's it's got to be Marquise Brown overall with the investment, Kyler's buddy, the deep threat that you're adding there. They bring back AJ Green. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be suspended for the first six games as of now, so there's a lot of pressure on on everybody in arizona right i mean it's year four of kyler murray he wants to he wants that big contract all of that stuff and marquise brown's gonna be the guy to unlock that
1: yeah i will say you can make an argument that a few of these other draft picks in the mid to low rounds could be a huge addition if they hit because they're at real positions of need so you know edge rusher for the cardinals is all of a sudden a wasteland outside of jj watt um, they drafted a couple of those guys in the third round. Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, Majai um, Sanders from Cincinnati. If one of those guys hits, that's huge. Like, that's such an important thing for this team and this defense. But, you know, third-round edge rushes, it's not exactly the most likely thing in the world.
0: Yeah, that was my take on the Saints last year when they had uh, Paul Sanadibo, the corner last year in the third round. It's like, yeah, you're not, usually not relying on third-rounders, but when you have a huge hole at corner – we got to rely there. I think the the Cardinals do have elements of that, right? Where these yeah. you know these two third rounders, Cameron Thomas being really productive, Sanders
1: really productive players, different types of players, but guys that have an opportunity to play. And they they grabbed a couple of offensive linemen in the sixth and seventh rounds as well. That again, there's like a pretty clear pathway through to playing time if one of those guys is unexpectedly a lot better than they think he is and that could be huge but wouldn't wouldn't be more impactful than uh, a Marquise Brown
0: alright wrapping up the NFC West here San Francisco 49ers in their most important edition
1: the San Francisco 49ers did they do things this offseason Um uh, promoted Ford. Bobby Sloak did they promote him
0: again that, that should have been the Rams move promoting Alan, uh, Zach XPFF Robinson people. is yeah. it Allen Robinson or Zach Robinson that's the most important I mean, that's the question everybody is asking who's the most important Robinson on the Rams
1: most important, role, <laughs> uh, I think it's probably Treverius Ward. That's what I went with, but I could see an argument for Drake Jackson for similar similar reasons to Arizona. Not, I mean, they obviously have Nick Bosa, so it's not a wasteland. But Drake Jackson, a second round edge out of USC, yes, pick number sixty one overall. There's literally nobody in this draft that has the combination of bend around the edge, burst that sort of the picture perfect Robert Quinn Von Miller speed rush around the outside that everybody looks for in the draft Drake Jackson's is the best of anybody anybody like all the way up to the top of the draft better than Hutchinson better than Trayvon Walker better than Thibodeau um and they got him at 61 overall now look they got him at 61 overall because there's other issues right it's not like he's perfect but that guy has the potential to come in there and be a D Ford replacement for this defense and give you somebody opposite Nick Bosa which again has the has real potential to be a huge move for them, but it's probably more likely Traverius
0: Ward. We've seen the Niners defense at their best when they do have six and seven legitimate pass rushers, which they did on their Super Bowl year in 2019. But I'm definitely going to go, I'll go with Traverius Ward as well. Again, a guy that was sneaky good, man, for, for years with the Chiefs. You know, the size, physicality to play press man. I think he adds a little bit of flexibility to what they can do in the secondary. And the Niners haven't really invested a ton at corner over the last couple of years, right? They got Richard Sherman kind of on the cheap, and every year we're like, "Hey, you know, they're going to do enough at corner. They're going to," and they get by. And this was the first real big investment that they've made at corner. So I think you know, Travaris Ward being the most important offseason addition for the Niners makes sense. Let's go to the AFC West. So now we've got the Raiders up first, in no particular order. Who is their most important offseason
1: addition? Um. I think the most important is probably the new head coach, Josh McDaniels. Yeah, this is, I mean,
0: pretty healthy debate here between Josh McDaniels and, of course, the superstar player of Devontae Adams.
1: Yeah, like so last season, the Raiders actually did remarkably well to make the playoffs despite everything that happened to them. Um, Remember, they they were in pretty good shape. The John Gruden email scandal... The Henry Ruggs accident and him getting kicked off the team and thrown in jail, this um, is this was, this was a, like a nightmare to, to navigate for Derek Carr in particular and the rest of that offense, and they held it together remarkably well. Now they, they get to start afresh. They get a new GM, a new head coach comes in, um, and McDaniels was the guy earmarked. And look, McDaniels has been kind of groomed. He's been set up as this guy that's, that went away, did the head coach thing once, was an absolute train wreck, dumpster fire in Denver, um, and then he sort of sat on the sideline learning under under Bill Belichick's tutelage to eventually, somebody assume, take over and give it another shot, having learned all his lessons and figured out what went wrong and you know knows not to do it again. Well, now we're going to get to see. Because Josh McDaniel's Denver tenure, honestly, if you were trying to run a franchise into the ground, you wouldn't have done much different. Like, seriously, if you come in there and go, what can I do to throw this thing off a cliff as fast as I possibly can? You'd run pretty much what McDaniels did from the from a playbook standpoint. So <laughs> he doesn't just need to, like, learn, you know, a couple of missteps in here. He's like, okay, I need to do the exact opposite of what I did the last time around and make sure that that doesn't happen again. So now we get to see what he can do with a team that's already in reasonable shape, which, again, that Denver team was as well, right? Remember, they got rid of Mike Shanahan because they were like tired of being reasonable. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to believe
0: that or uh, to to think that McDaniel's tenure there was 2009 and 10. What were you doing back in 2009? Just starting PFF? Yeah, just starting here. Yeah, it's still here. Yeah. I still had a mustache <laughs> back then. I mean, it's just it, it was so long ago. It is look for biggest offseason edition. It has to be McDaniel's, right? But. Devontae Adams. In 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 sticking with my whole offseason theme of these elite wide receivers moving and what we can learn from that. And you know, if if Derek Carr puts up MVP caliber numbers here, Sam, I mean it it's gotta be Devontae Adams. I mean, you you'll 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 put some of that success, like some of that success will go to McDaniels, right? But it's gotta be Adams, that the guy that that moves the needle there as far as taking this offense to the next level and, and in a division where you have to compete with the Chiefs, with the Chargers, and with Russ and the Broncos. So uh, I'll, I'll go Devontae Adams here, but remember we had that debate, right? It's like if you're starting a franchise, you, there's there's X number of quarterbacks you want to start with. There's a point where you don't necessarily want to take a quarterback first, though. There's a point where you want to take a head coach first. And I think you and I theorized it's probably after QB8 or so, right? But the receiver is probably right there as well right i mean the 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 impact of a head coach and a receiver is it close i mean the head coach touches absolutely everything but does it impact wins that much despite them impacting everything from culture to offense defense and every in every single thing i think that's a healthy debate as well um but yeah, I think I think the real answer in a lot of these cases has to be the new head coaches.
1: Yeah. I mean it's more of a short versus long term thing, I think. Like uh Devontae Adams influences your chance of winning games now. You know? The sure. next game. You're way way more of a chance of winning the next game with Devontae Adams on the roster than not. But Josh McDaniels is the guy that influences how many games you're gonna win over the next couple of years or the next five years, or you know, where the the overall direction of the franchise and then letting Devonte adams and Derek carr cook on sundays all right so for the raiders
0: josh mcdaniels and maybe short-term Devonte adams let's go denver broncos also have a new head coach yeah but they also have russell wilson yes so is he above is russell wilson above the threshold of he's more important than the head coach absolutely by a long way agreed so russ is the most important addition for the broncos yeah easy one i mean he just is There's nothing Nathaniel Hackett was going to do with this roster.
1: No, the only thing Nathaniel Hackett could do was to woo the quarterback. Right? We thought it might have been Aaron Rodgers when they signed uh, Nathaniel Hackett in the first place. Oh, connection to Rodgers. Is he going to be the guy that gets him over? And then Rodgers ends up signing signing his extension with Green Bay, and the Denver ends up getting Russell Wilson. Like, Nathaniel Hackett's role was a conduit to the quarterback. Like, that's how important the quarterback was.
0: And and again, we've seen... Tom Brady has gone on and won without Bill Belichick. We've seen Peyton Manning go on and win. We've seen Aaron Rodgers go on and win. Like, when you're above a certain threshold at quarterback, you're probably more important than the head coach. Despite the head coach, again, touching everything in the organization, setting the culture, adding players, subtracting players, all of that stuff, the quarterback at that level is still the bigger driver.
1: And it's also, what what is the head coach if he doesn't have a quarterback? Like, that's the other problem, right? If you... A guy like uh, Nathaniel Hackett might be an amazing head coach. The guy might be the next Bill Belichick. But if he never finds a quarterback that can get it done, it doesn't matter. He won't live to survive long enough to show that. Like, he'll be out. Like, Bill Belichick didn't just step into a head coaching role and smooth sailing from then on in. The dude had to wait until Tom Brady stumbled, you know, fell into his lap. He made the decision, went with Tom Brady. But, like, that's what catalyzed Bill Belichick into being Bill Belichick. So Russ, the, the biggest
0: offseason addition for the Broncos, Russell Wilson over Nathaniel Hackett. Of course, they made a bunch of other moves that were, that were good, but nothing compares to adding Russell Wilson to the mix there. Let's go Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West. This is an interesting one hmm. because they got rid of superstar Tyreek Hill, went with this idea of replacing him in the aggregate, continue to use in that, continue using that. Yeah, so who's the most important
1: Kansas City Chiefs offseason addition? Well, it basically has to be the draft. Um, I think it ends up being Sky Moore. Yeah, I thought you might go that way. I mean, Sky Moore, I, I, their entire draft was value picks. Now, you know, if you listen to the conversation we have with Dr. Eric Eager of the forecast, there is an extent to which that might be a just a, a fallacy. Uh, gen- you know, generally the idea that there is value and that just anybody. We love drafts where. The consensus board or the PFF board is way higher on a player than the NFL was, right? So every pick made looks like a bargain. It looks like value. You stop the guy's slide, so you get great value here. The Chiefs basically did that down the entire draft. So they were one of everybody's favorite drafts because everybody was higher on those players in the NFL. The data would say, like, there's a reason the NFL is lower on those guys than the consensus board, and maybe that's where the medicals or the character background stuff—the stuff that people don't have privy to when they're just watching tape—maybe that's where all that stuff yeah, comes in. It's tough to
0: properly project the
1: draft, right. right? But the point generally being that there doesn't appear to be any such thing as bargains, which isn't to say that players don't dramatically outperform their draft position. It just means that there's no correlation between the difference between the big board, the consensus big board, and a draft position like that value equating to a better player, right? Right. So the Chiefs, the fact that they picked this group of players that look like great value, Trent McDuffie, 11 on PFF's board, 21 pick overall. George Karloftis, 10 on PFF's big board, 30 pick overall. Um, Sky Moore, 22 to 54, like all the way down. The fact that they've done that might not actually mean anything. Um, But it really comes down to whether or not we're right about Sky Moore or not. And Sky Moore looks like he has first-round talent in a ton of different ways. Um, He reminded me of Julian Edelman, and that feels like the kind of player where, I mean, the NFL was lower on Julian Edelman, right? (laughs) The NFL did not pick Julian Edelman high. He goes on to have this career where at the end of it all, people are like, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? Yes or no, the point being, to go from where he was drafted to that conversation means he outperformed his draft position. Now, even if you redrafted and said, okay, if you pick Julian Edelman, pick number 54 overall, He's still value, right? So if Sky Moore can be that guy for the Chiefs, it, it, it's a huge boost and goes a massive long way to offsetting the loss of Tyreek Hill.
0: Yeah, I can see Sky Moore as the answer. I was going to go Marquez Valdez-Scantling um, just because it's really tough to project any receiver, second-round receiver, just jumping right in. So maybe, look, there's, there's both short and long-term implications here. But I think Valdez-Scantling is going to get an opportunity to be a little bit more than just the deep threat. And the big question here, I, I can't wait to see, are the Chiefs trying to get Mahomes to play better within structure? Or are these guys going to have to play to Mahomes and play out of structure, right? I mean, that was part of what, that's part of what Mahomes and Kelsey do so well and what Mahomes and Tyreek Hill did yeah. so well. As much uh-huh. as Tyreek Hill is just going to like win his routes... They also knew how to play with Mahomes, you know, off script. Can these receivers do that? Can Valdez Scantling do that? So it's like whichever receiver, for me, who's the most important one? Whichever receiver is going to be the best fit for Patrick Mahomes. Is it Sky Moore? Is it Valdez Scantling? Uh, you know, is it Juju Smith-Schuster? Which guy is is the best Fit for Patrick
1: Mahomes and his 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 style. Yeah, you're not going to get out of out of structure stuff out of Patrick Mahomes. Like that's just who he is. Now, obviously, the debate when he was coming into the NFL was, can he do the instructure stuff as well? He can't. So yeah, he's done like, that very well, right? So it's not like he's just that guy. But if you take that away from him, you are cutting off a giant percentage of what makes him Patrick Mahomes and what made, you're right, the, the connection that he had with Tyreek Hill and with Travis Kelsey in particular, it's so insane. When you watch the play break down, the way those guys are able to immediately go to where Patrick Mahomes knows they're going to be and find space. It's also one of those reasons where when they lose a player in the receiving core, it doesn't work quite as well because everybody has to shift roles. Nobody's quite sure where they're supposed to be in those situations. Not like It's not like they don't know their role on a play. You know They know the right they're supposed to be running. They know where they're supposed to be. But it's when that happens, right, when Mahomes rolls right randomly. Like, well, now, because the rules are different once you have to yeah, start. Yeah, you can
0: go back to the left because they'll throw a cross body.
1: Right. Once you have to start adjusting your route and, and um, scramble drill stuff, everything changes. So if you don't know that down, it, it causes problems. So they are going to need guys, I think, that can mesh with, with that. And it's very difficult, I think, to get an idea of whether that's going to work or not
0: without seeing it. It's going to be a fun year watching Mahomes play with a different group of players, and also let's not—you know—the last time we saw him, it was one of the most disastrous second-half collapses we've ever seen in NFL history. I mean, just legitimately, it was one of the worst second halves of football we've ever seen. Second halves of football. I mean, Mahomes was the first ten quarters of Mahomes. This postseason was was on pace to be one of the best of all time in the last two quarters are two of the worst we've ever seen. So it's a combination of all that's the most recent thing we've seen there's a whole turnover in the in the receiving core uh for me it's which one of those guys emerges. I'll I'll go with Marcos Valdez scantling you mentioned Sky Moore but either way it's all it's all the same thing. Whichever pass catcher meshes with Mahomes. All right, let's wrap up the AFC West with the Los Angeles
1: Chargers. They a lot of a lot of big uh, off-season moves to choose from here. Yeah. They they do. Um, I like the J.C. Jackson move. Yeah. Um, I think that has that is a chance to really propel that secondary into somewhere pretty special. Um, they already had the player, who's now number three, apparently, not number 33. Change number. Hmm. This whole new open season numbering rule thing. Yeah. Everybody can get any number. Whatever number you want. Whatever number. What number would you be? I, I would stick with a normal number. <laughs> I don't like – I wouldn't – What's your number? What's your ideal my number? My number was twenty-four. You were twenty-four. I, well, I was. I was when I was when I played receiver. I was eighty-two, and then when I went to DB, that's it was a good twenty-four. numbers there. Yeah, it's good, but those are just like components of my birthday. They weren't particularly imaginative. Mm. Yeah, I see. I'd be fifty. Fifty. Yeah, that's a terrible number. Why would you be fifty? Well, it depends on what sport I am playing. Why would you be fifty in any sport? It's good. No, it's a good number. No, it's an awful. Who think who is the best fifty you can think of in NFL history? Right? Hmm. See my point? Some linebacker. There's not a single one. Can't think of a single good 50.
0: Had ever. I gotten called up, I would have requested number 98. <laughs> because that was the number I got to. When I sat in the bullpen in spring training, I was number 98. So I said I'm,
1: I would stick with that. Number 98. So i would be 98. You're like those players that, like, you know, I want to wear number seven in honor of the seven guys who were picked in front of me. In the yeah, court. yeah, yeah. I just remember. I just
0: remember small beginnings. Number 98. Yeah. Small beginnings ended up being my... Small ending, too. Anyway, Chargers, you're going J.C. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, I'll go Khalil Mack uh, because, you know, an elite Khalil Mack, if he can get back on track just a little bit, he's still very good,
1: but it's kind of like the Vaughn Miller thing. What are you smiling like? at? I'm just, you, the idea of like, hey, uh, who's the best, whatever you can think of off the top of your head, right? It's It's, it's kind of like a cheat. Because you just put somebody in the spot, it's tough to think of something off the top of your head. Like Mike Singletary is one of the best linebackers in NFL history where number 50. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that. That's what I mean. You know? Yeah, so you were wrong. Well, I was, I was just laughing. Of course at how, there's been good 50s How, how there easy somewhere. it is to manipulate somebody in an argument. Of course you lose that when you then laugh about it. I just didn't care it. that much. Yeah.
0: Just didn't care that much to fight for my good old number 50.
1: That's right. That's fine.
0: So I'm going Khalil Mack as the most important addition 73 pff grade last year that's not in line with the rest of his career but we've seen similar stuff from vaughn miller right where vaughn was slowly declining 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 it doesn't mean you're losing it completely khalil Mack still has a a good enough track record that that he could be back in that high 80s low 90s range and if he does that with joey bosa on the other side dominant defensive frontier for the chargers so i'll say khalil Mack. that's why they invested in him with the second round pick
1: yeah, and a- another player that has a real chance to impact the run defense as well, like which was a real problem for the Chargers last season. Even with the context of they probably want to be a little bit soft against the run or inviting run defense, um, you know they went too far. <laughs> don't don't give up two hundred a game. Yeah, and then you'll be all right.
0: All right. Before we get into the next divisions, the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their best ball mania tournament has ten million dollars in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season. The highest scores at the end of the year win. So this is a great time to get in and get your draft done because the champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June. So there's no time like the present. Join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit. That's right. They're going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code pff also if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code pff you get a free pff subscription that's right what an unbelievable deal right here as we head into the summer so what are you waiting for head to underdogfantasy.com or the app store play 10 dollars with code pff and draft your best ball mania team today so you play a great fantasy game you get a free pff subscription and uh, you just set it and forget it as far as your lineup goes. I love it. So go check out underdogfantasy.com or go to the App Store. Promo code, of course, is PFF. All right, let's go to the NFC South. We're on to the Souths now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks up first in the random list that I made.
1: Yeah, of course. I Who's course their most
0: important offseason addition? Tom Brady?
1: I was going to say, am I allowed to say Tom Brady? Well, I mean, they... they they wooed a... They added him from a point where he wasn't on the team. Wooed a quarterback out of retirement. Yeah. He was He was not on the team. He had retired. He was busy watching Manchester United play in England. And then it's like, oh, he's back. Yeah. So they got him back. They, that's an addition. Therefore, Todd Brady. No? Feels cheating. Not allowed? Okay. Um, I will Todd go. Bowles counts,
0: even though he's been there. Is elevating that, Todd Bowles to head coach.
1: Is that an addition?
0: Yeah, because you're adding him to a different – you're elevating him to a different role. not adding. I mean, if I say it that way, (laughs) you're adding him from defensive coordinator to – he moved offices. Add somebody from something to something else. That doesn't work. He's already there. Biggest offseason elevation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Quick, Tyler, rename this thing. Offseason addition slash elevation. I will
1: go with Luke Gadecki, the Central Michigan – Player, offensive lineman they drafted in the second round second rounder because that the the hole on the offensive line you know Brady retires immediately Ryan Jensen resigns um, but they lost both guards Alex Kappa to free agency Ali Marpet retired they couldn't get him out of retirement so that had the potential to cause problems on that offensive line which okay Brady's got lightning fast release and would, they've got good players there but you really don't want to have a couple of holes emerge on an offensive line with an ancient quarterback and um, the potential issues that can cause. A guy like Gedecki, and when they were drafting in the first round, they traded out of it because there was that run on guards in the first round. The guys presumably they were looking for, the Zion Johnsons of the world, were not there. They trade out, and they end up getting Luke Gedecki lower down the second round, but that's the they're going to need him to start like that's the guy who come needs to come in be good and solidify that spot.
0: No, I think that's fair. I mean they when going into the draft we knew they they had a spot to fill so could being be in that guy. Uh, I think makes sense. I was going to go with Russell Gage uh, just because he's their he's their third wide receiver now, right? And they invested in him in the offseason almost 10 million a year and you know, it's part of what went wrong. Last year was Chris Godwin getting hurt down the stretch. The poor game that they had against the saints both godwin and evans went down in the same game and last year at this time we said look if the bucks aren't going to make it it's going to be they lose some sort of depth at receiver secondary maybe offensive line and russell gage helps mitigate that right when he's on the field it's like wow russell gage their third option pretty solid one of the best third options in the nfl and if guys get hurt You feel a little bit better about him stepping in than, say, a Tyler Johnson, a Brashad Perryman, a Scotty Miller, the other guys that they have rounding out that roster. So, I like the Russell Gage investment. Gadecki makes sense, though, too, because don't want to have any holes up front as far as the offensive line goes. How about the Atlanta Falcons, their biggest offseason addition? They've added a lot of big ones, (laughs) size-wise, at receiver in particular. They have. Uh, I'm just fascinated by this strategy of just monstrous pass
1: catchers that they have that's going to be fun Hmm. the one obviously that has the potential to move the needle the most is if they end up hitting on Desmond Ritter Um, you know they they bring in Marcus Mariota it's a stopgap right he's there to just make sure they have some sort of viable quarterback play until they figure it until they clear the dead cap hit for Matt Ryan in particular Um, and they can sort of actually spend some money next season but for now, he's just there to keep the lights on, keep things ticking over. But Desmond Ritter, third-round pick, I, this was a guy. I don't know what to make of the quarterbacks this year. Right? Nobody loved them, but we all assumed they would kind of go in the first round anyway, two or three of them at least, and they didn't. We got one. We got Kenny Pickett in the first round, and people thought that was overdrafting, and then nobody else until a third. So what do you do with those quarterbacks now? Do you say, well, this is just who they are. They're not good. Forget about them. Because third-round picks typically don't pan out. You you know, you, you hit every now and again, a Dak Prescott shows up and is like, ooh, we just, we just missed. And immediately you knew it, right? Russell Wilson, same thing. These are guys that win that job in training camp, right? Ritter could be that guy. Ritter could come in, look ready day one, and immediately is pushing Marcus Mariota for that starting job. And if that happens, like nothing the Falcons did this offseason, in a good offseason, will affect it as much as that. Like if Ritter is good. If Ritter isn't good. Like it's irrelevant. He's just a backup. Barely hear his name from here on in. Um, and the biggest move they have made at that point probably becomes Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson? Drake uh, Drake London. Drake London, right?
0: right. I was going to say Drake Drake Jackson. Biggest move for two different teams here. Yeah. Two, so uh, so far, yeah. I mean, I think if, if Ritter ends up hitting, certainly that that trumps anything. Um, I was going to go Drake London, of, of course, their first-round pick, in part because, I mean, they chose him among all the other receivers, right? They chose him over Garrett Wilson. They chose him over Chris Olave and Jameson Williams and all these other guys that we said, look, teams could have any of those top four guys as the number one receiver on their board. And the Falcons showed their hand because they picked first of all those receivers. They picked the, their guy, which was Drake London. So I think it's him. I think in the short term, though, uh, Casey Hayward being added to that secondary with AJ Terrell. If you if you're just talking some short-term improvement, what Hayward added uh, last year with a 76th grade coming back and being one of the the highest graded corners once again after a down year in 2020. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna make just a much, it's gonna make for a much better secondary in Atlanta in the short term. The most important one, though, I definitely think is is Drake London because that's what they decided. They're going to build their pass game around now with Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Uh, let's go, Carolina Panthers. Their most important offseason addition. Um, same reasoning as Desmond Ritter. You have to go, Matt Corral, right? Yeah, it
1: probably has to be. Like, they Matt Corral is the one that determines whether people are keeping their jobs or not. Essentially, right? They they had the you nom- think so? Yeah. If Matt Corral is not good this year, but if everybody see-
0: in the building is getting fired. No matter what happens with Sam Darnold, is there a chance if Sam Darnold plays below average or low 60s baseline, you know, career
1: baseline, can they win eight games? No. Okay. It's, I mean, Matt Corral, the only chance that the people currently in charge are still in charge next year is if Matt Corral is good and good kind of quickly. Interesting. Um, so from that point of view... They had the number six overall pick. They didn't choose a quarterback. They didn't get any of the big-name quarterbacks in the offseason. They didn't mortgage the future for anything. They did nothing until Matt Corral was available at pick 94. They traded up and got him. At that point, Matt Corral is is the guy that determines whether or not you're going to keep your jobs because this was like – it looked to me – I may be inventing this, but it looked to me like the entire offseason strategy was essentially the owner, David Depper, saying, look – we're not, we're not mortgaging the future here to do something crazy at quarterback. We are going to do the sensible thing for the long-term health of this franchise. And I'm less interested in who is running the long-term health of this franchise, right? I will be here into the future. Doesn't really matter to me if other people are or not. So whilst you guys might want to do something nuts, you know, a massive crazy move or whatever to take your quarterback, I'm not interested in that. So, so- that, I mean, that makes Matt Corral... So important for the people that aren't David Tepper. The people who don't have an ownership stake in the team. I wrote down Matt Corral as well. But yeah, I mean, long term,
0: we, if, if, if everybody does get fired and it's a new regime next year, then it's like, Matt Corral doesn't matter a whole lot. But they're going like, to get the next guy, and it's, it's probably Iki Ikwanu because he was the top tackle that they chose.
1: And they're kind of linked anyway, because... I mean, I was saying all the way through the mock draft process, if you're not selecting a quarterback for Carolina at six... You should be obligated to say, like, what is your quarterback plan, right? Because it can't be Sam Darnold. So that's what the Panthers ended up doing. They took Iki Iquano at six. That was their one high-value draft pick. They grab a a cornerstone left tackle, and they, they end up getting Matt Corral. That was their answer. But Iki Iquano will be forever connected to the fact that they passed on quarterbacks. So he needs to be good because that is what you gave up the chance to draft the most important position in the NFL now you know with hindsight it's like nobody wanted these quarterbacks so number six would have been a massive reach for whoever you picked but that's the connection that he has is that they chose him over a quarterback when this team desperately needed a quarterback
0: yeah so I'll I'll agree with you on Matt Corral but I think we could be sitting here a year from now saying yeah who's the most important addition it was just first round pick Ikuanu, because he's more part of this future because if, if corral just ends up becoming a backup type as a third rounder then he's not but for the regime and you know his competition with sam darnold i'll go with matt corral as well rounding out the nfc south with the new orleans saints who's their most important offseason addition sam
1: so i can't go with uh the new head coach it's not the most important elevation here no. right correct not him because he was only elevated not not dennis allen no it wasn't wasn't added was already there yeah can't be can't be him just switching offices doesn't count um it's probably chris alave this is getting pretty repetitive in terms yeah it's their number one pick um alave because this is a great show what are you talking about alave because of how much they gave up to get him now i would argue you can kind of separate that out a little bit and compartmentalize it and use the best ability of your cognitive dissonance to ignore a lot of the value you gave up, but if you does, do, take it in the hole. Does Jameis... Like Jameis should count here, right? God, that's a terrible turn of phrase. Take it in the totality. The Take a holistic view of it as opposed to, you know... Got it. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. Uh, Jameis should count here because he was a free agent even though he was on the team last year, right? Mm-hmm. Jameis... Does, can we get a ruling on Jameis counting?
1: Is, no, because free agent. It's an offseason move, offseason addition. Resigning your own free agents. Yeah, <sighs> it but great. it was after they, they did, did like, other oh, stuff. A long time.
0: Yeah, right. They, you know, they 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 flirted with Deshaun Watson. They did some other stuff.
1: That shouldn't have said that either. <laughs> <laughs> we need to cut the entire Saints section.
0: Use better words, Steve and Sam. Uh, they were. You don't want to say sweepstakes. You don't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. They investigated signing. and that's, uh, Investigating's not good either. No. They thought about, they considered signing Deshaun Watson. They trading think. for Deshaun Watson. Yes. In New Orleans. And then they went back to Jameis. So Jameis kind of counts. Okay. It's either him or Olave, though.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, Jameis, Jameis is massively important because he's their quarterback right now. Most important position the guy they essentially decided to go with at that spot, admittedly only after they failed in getting Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, Jameis Winston is going to determine probably how good this team is right now. Um, Chris Olave is important just because of the sheer value, the totality of what they gave up to get him, including those two trades, the one to get into the first round again this year and one to trade then up to get him at number 11 instead of sitting there where they were and, and see who was available. So when you add all that together... The volume of like trade collateral that Chris Olave cost this team is massive. I got to go back and take a look at everything that they gave up for Marcus Davenport, and then put
0: that against PFF War and what they gave up and what they ended up getting back. I think that will be a fascinating case with Olave in a few years, and it's not necessarily like who was picked in lieu of him, but it's just what you would, on average, get from the four or five picks that you used to go get Chris Olave um, if he becomes the next Michael Thomas. Maybe you can justify it. But this is like the opposite of what the Chiefs just did, right? But the, the Saints are doing it with an unproven commodity, right? The Chiefs took a proven commodity in Tyree Kill and said, we'd rather have five players. And the Saints, maybe not in one decision, but in multiple decisions, essentially said, in lieu of five players, we'll take one Chris Olave. Yeah,
1: the Saints have a... So the flip side of that idea of there's no such thing as value was there are... There is such a thing as reaching, right? Like if you're if you're doing the Mike Mayock draft every year, where you're like I'm taking a guy twenty spots higher than everybody else has him, you're going to be wrong because the, the da- again the data says so. There is when when it's one data point, right? The other way, at least thirty two teams, thirty one teams are passing on a guy before you take him. That is some sort of degree of wisdom of the crowds. So 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 technically
0: there is value though. There is value in taking someone in their expected range. Rather than yeah, yeah. Reaching. so
1: when you're when you're reaching, it's just one team's opinion, and the chances are that team is wrong. The Saints are interesting because they typically don't reach on players; they just trade to get that guy in his right range. So you're essentially you're not taking a guy; you're sticking to the consensus opinion on a guy, but you're making the same. Um, you're making the same logical leap in terms of I like our ability to evaluate this guy's talent better than everybody else, except instead of of disagreeing with everybody and saying, well, I think he's worth this much more, so I'm going to go up and get him 20 spots higher than you guys think he's worth. They're like, no, you guys are right as well, but we just think we're able to identify the talent better, so we're going to stick in his right range and just trade a ton to go get him. So it's this weird mix of the theory is the same, that they basically just value their, their opinion higher than everybody else's. But they're actually not deviating from everybody else's opinion, so they're still sticking with the wisdom of the crowds. It's just that they're increasing the amount it's costing them to make these draft picks.
0: Uh, that's the biggest thing it, to me, right? It's, if it's the equivalent of four or five players, particularly on a team that uh, likes to push the salary cap in the future, even though they're in a much better spot now, they spent a year to, to get back on track there. Sometimes those four and five players, well, most of the time, they're going to be more valuable than the non-quarterback. So if Olave hits, you know, he's probably the most important one. Let's go with him. All right, let's go to the uh, AFC South. Remember the Titans? They're first in the AFC South. Titans, most important player. And why is it Traylon Burks?
1: Uh, Because he's replacing the guy they traded away. So he is. It's got to be Traylon Burks. Well, I mean, so, yeah, it's Traylon Burks because he's got a – He's got to replace A.J. Brown. Alternatively, you can look at it and say, well, if Robert Woods comes in there and becomes their number one, True. that's pretty important. You could go Robert Woods. Uh,
0: Robert Woods making over $16 million a year and, you know, a track record as a as a high-end number two. This is not a knock on Robert Woods, but a high-end volume receiver, probably a top 32 receiver in the NFL, maybe top 20 at his best. Robert Woods is legit. and. I mean, I think it, certainly in the short term it's him. In the long term, though, I mean, you could argue that J- Traylon Burks has high upside, right? I mean, there's a there's there's game speed that maybe didn't show up in the forty. There's there's ball skills. There's a lot to him. The, the Titans continue to add these. Uh, last year was Caleb Farley. A couple of years ago was Jeffrey Simmons. They're adding these high ceiling type of players. So I, I'll go Traylon Burks is the most important one, but Woods certainly could trump that for this year because he probably comes in as the number one target here for I mean, Ryan Tannehill.
1: Burks also has that. He fits into the mold of, you know, the dudes thing. Like, he's got the kind of ability to just take over a game and just and wreck players that aren't as big, strong, and fast as he is. As much as, okay, the 40-time versus play speed thing, I mean, he's, his play speed is faster than his 40-time, whatever the 40-time is. Um, so there's not that many guys that can live with that level of physicality, just physical tool set. Um, And that was the same with A.J. Brown. That's been the same with Derrick Henry. Like, those are the guys that they've been relying on to carry this team. Burks has got more work to do. It's not as easy to find a role for him as it was with A.J. Brown, but he has that ability to take over a game just from a physical standpoint. All
0: right, let's go. Uh, So I agree. Traylon Burks trying to replace A.J. Brown. Jacksonville Jaguars, most important offseason addition.
1: Uh, I mean, it's... Probably Trayvon Walker, given the number one pick debates. Um, Jacksonville had the number one overall pick in the draft. That for most teams doesn't I, come along that often.
0: Are you choosing him over Doug Peterson?
1: So Doug Peterson's yes, because Doug Peterson's importance is simply not being Urban Meyer. Oh, I mean that's 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 pretty important. But that's more that's the biggest subtraction, not addition. It's addition by subtraction. The act, the fact that it was Doug Peterson is almost irrelevant
0: to. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean you want to be better than Urban Meyer and, you know, most most hired head coaches will be
1: historically. And that didn't even like happen during the off season. <laughs> they booted him during the season. Yeah, but they added Doug Peterson. No, I know, but like but the, the addition was getting rid of the guy that was blowtorching your franchise.
0: So I, I would go Doug Peterson just because you don't just need him to not be Urban Meyer. That's like The baseline of expectation don't be urban meyer Mm. but doug peterson has to be the guy to get the best out of trevor lawrence right Right. he's got to be the guy he's got to create the environment create the culture he's a former quarterback who's worked with carson wentz almost got an mvp caliber season out of carson wentz however you want to you know assign credit blame whatever for carson wentz and doug peterson and their relationship and all that stuff but doug peterson's the most important person and in the, in the Jags have spent a lot of money. They added number one overall pick Trayvon Walker in a huge decision to take him over, you know, other players that, you know, were more expected, you know, expected to go number one overall. So I'll go Doug Peterson here.
1: He also becomes hugely important because they didn't. I mean, they've added pieces to the offense, but the offense is still not good on paper. Like you look at the receiving core, for example. Hey, Trevor Lawrence. Big year two for for the greatest prospect we've seen since Peyton Manning. What does he have to work with? Well, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones Jr., Christian Kirk, Laquan Treadwell, Lavisca Chanel, Dan Arnold. Like this is not this is not the group that you would put around a quarterback heading into a huge year two to be you know amazing. Oh. Same with the offensive line. Like, hey, what's his what's his offensive line look like? Well, we gave Cabin Robinson the bag. Then we got Ben Barch, uh, Brandon Sheriff, Juwan Taylor. You know, Walker, little like this is again. This is not a great group of offensive linemen to put in front of him either. At least they invested in Sheriff, who immediately
0: steps in. He's their best offensive lineman. When you do look at that receiving core, though, like again, going back to the Chiefs' discussion, like if this is, is this much different than what the Chiefs are trotting out as a receiving core? Yes. You think so? Yes. Marvin Jones. I mean, think for a second here. Uh-huh. Valdez, Scantling, Juju. Sky Moore's a rookie. He's, he's an unknown, as much as you love him. And Michael Hardman versus... Wait, 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 wait. And Travis Kelsey. I'm
1: just talking receivers. I
0: know yeah. Travis Kelsey.
1: I, I, I'm not talking
0: all pass catchers
1: here. You should, but you need to for the Chiefs. Like, Travis Kelsey, a lot like Kyle Pitts, is basically their number one receiver.
0: I, I understand. I'm just looking at the receiving core for now, though, because the Chiefs made a decision to lose a Tyree Kill in lieu of three other...
1: Actual wide receivers, but they can only do that because you have a Travis Kelsey there. Like, if, if Travis Kelsey didn't exist and it was Tyree Hill plus the other guys, I don't think they'd have made the
0: same not, decision. I know. I'm just I'm I'm just trying to isolate this one position group for now, but that because make sense. I think what um, the point I'm trying to make here is the Jags try I went out and got Christian Kirk, went out and got Zay Jones, spent a lot of money to do it, and I think they only landed. At a spot where the Chiefs kind of got to reluctantly is my point. You know, like the Chiefs kind of downgraded to their receiving core, whereas I like think the Jags are kind of upgrading to, you know, spend all that money on Christian Kirk, who's I don't know, did he make our top thirty-two receiver list? No, I yeah, don't I think mean, he's going to. Yeah, Jay other- Jones had a second-half breakout last year. Marvin Jones is really good and solid, but getting old, it just
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other way of looking There's at it is there. the Chiefs traded away one of the best receivers in the game, replaced him with a second-round pick and a couple of mid-price mid free agents, and still have a better receiving core than the Jags, who gave a lot of money to Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Yeah. You know, like, this is they haven't done a good job of building around Trevor Lawrence so far, which is the point.
0: All right, so Trayvon Walker for you. I'm going to go Doug Peterson, most important. Off-season
1: edition. I meant to ask you: There's so, where do you stand on the conspiracy theory slash rumor that the Jags? uh What's the best way of phrasing this? Induced the lawsuit from their kicker in order to be able to fire Urban Meyer for cause. Oh yeah, I'm all in on that. Yeah yeah yeah. I like that as a theory. Yeah yeah yeah. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? Because you're getting sued by the guy. No nah, no, that's the way. It's the way to do it. Yeah yeah. Look, we made a
0: really bad <laughs> financial investment. Let's try to get out of it. And if we lose a little bit more money
1: along the way, like, you know. Well, also, if you were, you know, if, if it was arranged, you could have like a predetermined, you know, settlement, essentially. Like, hey, you file a lawsuit. You sue us. You know, here's what we'll give you for it. Is, when we settle, this is the number. It's like,
0: like storyline. Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, write it down a bit of paper. Slide it across the table. Like, that's the number we'll settle for. And then we get, to get, get rid of the guy that's killing us. I
0: hadn't heard that,
1: but uh, yeah, it's great though, isn't it? it? Definitely <laughs> makes sense. And uh,
0: yeah, Urban Meyer, former AEW superstar. So it's true, you know, he's, by far his uh, his pro career highlight. It really was. That was like he was kind of bad, and he didn't segment. do anything. Yeah. yeah, and he just should have stood there. That was definitely the best thing he did as head coach. Handed Jack somebody was. his laptop, right? Yeah, that was all he did. Charlie Strong did more work. True, in that which was pretty telling. I think should've pretty not, telling should have been a red flag, right, of the Jaguars' regime in uh, Urban Meyer's tenure there. Uh, AFC South, we're continuing. Indianapolis Colts. Matt Ryan, yeah, has to be next. Pretty much. No, so have we given the Colts enough love lately? I talk a lot about the Colts lately. I feel like I, I'm like. I don't know. Colts I mean, are one other of my favorite teams to talk about for whatever reason.
1: Other candidates. Alec Pierce is important because he gives them that yes. second receiver right side of Michael Pittman. Uh, Bernard Ryman is really important. They essentially may have drafted a starting left tackle in what did they get in the third round? Yeah. Um, those are two very important players. But-
0: no, I agree. With, I agree with both of those. I mean, for this year, of course, it's Matt Ryan, right? I mean, he should upgrade, uh, maybe not drastically, but upgrade over what they had with Carson Wentz last year. Um, I think receiver, tackle's been a two-year issue, so adding Ryman makes sense. And adding receivers in general. If Pierce hits, man, with his explosiveness opposite Michael Pittman, that's huge. I still don't love the Colts receiving core on paper, but they did make some moves to try to make it better. So Pierce could be that guy, but I'll definitely go Matt Ryan as the most important Colt offseason addition. And then the Houston Texans to round out the NFC South, who's the most important Texan offseason addition.
1: Hmm. Um, have you got a good one for this?
0: I was going to go Derek Stingley. Derek Stingley. Yeah. I mean, again, their first round pick. It was the first aggressive move. It was the first player that wasn't a backup, essentially, that they've had it over the last couple of years. Yeah. It has to be Stingley. Like, I mean, he's the he's the first pick that will somewhat define Nick Casario's tenure there in Houston.
1: Not even the yeah, not even the first draft pick, but the first move. I mean the first the first addition. The first significant addition. The first move that will define his tenure is trading away Deshaun Watson, the first addition after that. Yeah, it was Derek Stingley at number three overall. Um so yeah, I guess it probably is him. I you know, Kenyon Green is a pretty significant one. More not even so much like what Kenyon Green does, but like the opportunity cost of taking a guard at fifteen. Like that that'll be one where, you know, Kenyon Green, whatever he does people are always going to kind of have their eye on the next 10 players in that draft. Like, all right, yeah. whatever Kenyon Green does, like, what do the next 10 guys do? Because if one of those pops huge, it's like, uh, <laughs> should we have taken that guy instead of a guard at 15?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, picking a guard in isolation feels safer. Like, you're not trying to hit a home run. You're just trying to grab a starter. And I don't hate that as a strategy when you have two first-round picks. But if you're the Texans, I'm also tempted by Trying to hit a home run with both picks, Derek Stingley, and then at number fifteen. So I'll say Stingley's most important, but I think you're right as far as Kenyon Green and taking him at fifteen, and then you know what is coming after that down the route, down the road, in the draft for the Texans. Let's go, NFC North, Chicago Bears, biggest off-season addition, the new GM Ryan Poles. Yes, that was my answer. Now. I want Doug Peterson for the Jags. Obviously, they didn't switch GM as
1: well. But why not Matt Eberflus, head coach? Because Ryan Poles appears to be the guy taking charge, taking point on what the direction is right now. How are we rebuilding this thing? The Bears were not in a great situation in terms of cap space, in terms of overall roster health, and they had Justin Fields. So there's huge arguments, you know in Bears fandom right now about what what is the strategy been for building around Justin Fields do they believe in him do they not what are they doing right now Ryan Poles is the guy making all those moves he has been the one determining where we've been allocating resources where we've been um, putting the small amount of value picks that we have so far they haven't been a ton around Justin Fields
0: completely agree it's Ryan Poles they they did draft 11 times they came in low on draft capital, maneuvered the board quite a bit. I know six of those picks were in round six and seven, but it's the, it's the type of thing the Bears need to be doing right now, right? I mean, a lot of the offensive linemen that they took were late. If you hit on a couple of those, credit Ryan Poles, right? I mean, you're you're taking this roster that had, as you just mentioned, cap issues, talent issues, and trying to trying to get it, get it back on track. I think that all comes down to Ryan Poles. I would take. If they had hired an offensive head coach, I think the narrative would be more, hey, it's the offensive head coach, right? If they had hired Doug Peterson, it's like, well, Doug Peterson's got to be the most important guy because he's going to be sitting there with Justin Fields. Right. We don't know what that really looks like for, um, for Fields right now with Iberflus taking over. Um, so it's going to be the overall roster construction. So I agree. It's uh, Ryan Pohl's most important offseason addition
1: for the Bears. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Good. Are you looking for more? No, that's it. Okay. Who do I have next on the list after the Bears?
0: Minnesota Vikings. Who's the most important offseason addition for the Vikings?
1: So I would have said Quasi. Um You know, if you just sort of gave me the moves and don't do it on paper, don't do it. Uh, uh, you know, randomly, like you fire Rick, Fe- Rick Spielman, you fire Mike Zimmer, you bring in Quasi, Well, that signifies a complete. Change that's, soon, that's by far the most important thing soon to be friend of the show Rick Spielman yes but given the moves they've made since they did that I think it's actually Kevin O'Connell
0: are you implying Quasi's a uh, puppet GM
1: no not at all okay but what I'm applying is that the moves they've made since firing Spielman and hiring Quasi have been very much from the same playbook they've been stay the course they've been don't do anything dramatic let's just keep going and the difference, therefore, has to be in the coach. Like If the GM isn't making a lot of moves that are different from the old GM, then everything comes down. If you want to change from where you were last year, the guy that needs to make that happen is the head coach, is changing from Mike Zimmer to Kevin O'Connell. A, you're going from defense to offense. But B, you're also going to be jumping on board this idea of, hey, the Sean McVay tree is the thing that's cooking. All those disciples are having success he's the guy that needs to propel this forward man
0: yeah it's interesting case I, I my I, I would lean with Kevin O'Connell that's fine um, I think in part because now you're getting into the um the McVay branches man you got Brandon Staley's out there Kevin O'Connell's out there maybe Zach Robinson has a job as a head coach in a couple of years but the McVeigh branches are starting to uh you know find their way around the nfl does mcveigh get his own tree or is it all still mike no, shanahan's he can't have his own
1: tree right it's mike shanahan's tree when do you start a new tree or does it always just keep branching off because you can always like almost it's gonna be like a
0: big branch though like kyle shanahan's gonna have his own branch and then mcveigh's gonna have his own because we're
1: still tracing people back to like bill walsh and you know even before that like sid gilman and stuff so at what point do you be like, no, this is all like the Shanahan tree, right? I mean, Shanahan goes back to Bill Walsh, right? This is, I think so. So technically, this is all part of Bill Walsh's tree. It's not, not even Shanahan's tree. Isn't, it's not his tree. I mean, at He's some just point, a the entire the
0: NFL is Bill Walsh, and it's like, all right, what are we even separating here? <laughs>
1: even Maybe Bill, Bill Walsh. Walsh isn't
0: that good. He's Bill produced Walsh all these back. terrible coaches.
1: Doesn't Bill Walsh go back to, like, Paul Brown or somebody? Like, it's but, all Paul Brown. So when do, you, when do you start a new tree versus just a branch off the old tree? Whenever you want. Because it feels like we did that quietly with Shanahan, right? And it's only now that I've re- remembered that he was part of, like, somebody else's coaching It's career. whenever you want. Uh, but Zach Taylor's out there. You
0: know, is Zach Taylor uh, successful? He just went to the Super Bowl. I mean, yes. It was at <laughs> Burrow. So seeing Kevin O'Connell, new system in Minnesota with some decent pieces there. I'll go Kevin O'Connell because it's um, – but it's really him and Quazy together. I liked, you know, Quazi's press conference saying he was before they hired O'Connell. He was looking for a coach to partner with him. Right? They are working together in this whole thing, and that that could just be talk. But it is so crucial the head coach, the GM working together. It does seem like that's how the Vikings are going to operate. So uh, I'll go both, Quazy and O'Connell
1: working okay. together. Both, yeah. Like you got to pick one. All right,
0: I'll go O'Connell because uh, Rick Spielman's coming on the show this week. So we can't say the guy that replaced him.
1: No, you could. that's how you, you big him up. You're like, oh, dude. the guy that replaces Rick. I mean, that's the most important. Like what shoes to step into. True. Rick did a great job there right. for the most part. Yeah. Above average work
0: <laughs> in Minnesota, which <laughs> is good in most lines of work. They should lead off yeah. the interview. He was a top 10 to 15. Congratulations team. on an above average overall career. I mean, if you're, if there's only 32 roles of what you do in uh, the world, and you're in the top half of that in the world, it's pretty good. Yeah, gets you fired sometimes, but it's pretty good. Pretty good. All right, Green Bay Packers, most important off-season edition.
1: Ugh. Does it have to be Christian Watson?
0: I mean, think about. Most of what's happened in Green Bay has been subtraction, right? It's, it's yeah. Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers' insides. Like all, they've, all they've done this year. Aaron Rodgers' insides? Well, yeah, he did the, the, uh, the, the, the cleanse. The 12-day cleanse. The ghee cleanse. The It's A lot of gee. Everything about Green Bay has been flushing out the old yeah. this offseason. It's tough to find additions other than the two first-round Georgia defensive players, Quay Walker... Devonte wyatt
1: yeah um i mean quay walker is important again for opportunity cost you grab a guy like that pick 22 overall what could you have had instead but i think i think it ends up being christian watson like you trade away Devonte adams this receiving core wasn't great even with Devonte adams right like it was being talked about as a problem with Devonte adams in it who's the best receiver in the nfl so without him I mean, it's, this is the worst receiving group in the NFL. And the only thing that has a chance of fixing that is Christian Watson or Sammy Watkins or, like, Romeo Dubs, but it's Christian Watson. This is not
0: good, the fact that I, I want to say Watkins every time I say Christian Watson's name, the fact yeah. that he's on uh, no, Sammy Watkins' problems. team here. Um, I was going to say Sammy Watkins, but, like, realistically, what are you getting out of Sammy Watkins?
1: I mean, not much.
0: Can Aaron Rodgers turn him into— There was a point where Sammy Watkins looked like the next star receiver. Year two in the NFL, he was (laughs) a star. Now, that was seven years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But Watkins, he had some injuries and everything. He looked like he was on his way. In Kansas City, he was the number three option, but he had games where he absolutely took over. Yes. Right? He had games where he took over. And in the playoffs, playoff Sammy— 2019. I think Sammy Watkins is the most important one because again, what do you, what do you, what can you expect from Christian Watson in year
1: one? What can you expect from a rookie? What can you expect from Sammy Watkins? 2015 play. If you added up his last two years, it still would be an underwhelming season. But he hasn't had Aaron Rodgers. No, he's only had Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. That's Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Not all Lamar Jackson the whole season. He's been banged up. and the whole, Sammy Watkins is the most important addition for this year Okay, for the Packers. No, I agree. It's probably Watson. <laughs> you know, because, again, you're, they traded up to get him top of the second round. And our scouting report on Watson, you know, questionable ball skills, speed receiver. I don't think he's a great short or inter- intermediate route runner. I think that aligns very closely with MVS, the departed Marcos Valdez-Gantling. Yeah. But I think for Watson... There's somebody. Um, is Watson worth it if he's just Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Guy who averages 17 per catch. I mean, that's is probably a worth threat. It. Is probably. it worth it? Probably. But you would still want a little bit more volume, I
1: think. It's, it's worth it in terms of, like, where they drafted him. If mean, where he drafted him, that guy ends up being Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that's probably fair. Yeah. A fair return. The problem they have is that they don't... They now... Like, who's their receivers? Like, they need somebody... Okay, replacing DeVonte Adams is not going to happen from one player, right? You, the chance again, we've talked about it with Stefan Diggs to Justin Jefferson. To make that kind of lateral move is crazy. To make it for Devontae Adams is even more insane because Adams is better than Stefan Diggs and like the chances of you finding the best receiver in the NFL with one shot is basically impossible. So that's not going to happen. But you need to get somewhere. Like, you can't just, okay, because if, if all you did is replace Marquez Valles, gantling then you literally didn't touch the Devontae Adams thing. Now you've just taken last year's receiving core and removed the best receiver in the NFL from it and said, have fun. Like, they're going to work win your magic, game Aaron. And play action. And... Um, yeah. So he needs to be better than that from that point of view. That, like, otherwise they're screwed. Um, there's somebody I follow on Twitter. I forget who it is, but he's like working through Christian Watson tape, you know, right now and posting like clips and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's, it's like, it's sort of the first time he's seen Christian Watson tape and he's like, keeps being, you know, and like,
0: gotta be a Packers guy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, like, um, you know, every rare Wes Welker drop. Yeah. It was from a guy that clearly didn't watch an awful lot of Wes Welker who would drop like, you know, quite regularly a lot of passes. Um, but every time it came up, it was like, "Oh, there's another rare Wes Welker drop." Yeah, it's like this guy's like, "Oh, you, you'd kind of, you'd like to see Christian bring that one in, you know? It was like, hit him in the hands. Okay, you have to elevate first. <laughs> like, ideally, you'd want to see him bringing those catches in, right? It's like, yeah, you're gonna want to get used to that. That's yeah, that, there's quite a
0: few of those in it the table. Shows up. I mean, watching Watson at the Senior Bowl though, too. He, he at least. Like, every time I was ready to write off his hands or his ball skills, he would make a nice back shoulder oh, yeah. adjustment. I mean, like, he'd go bit. up and get it. and It's just inconsistent, right? And, again, we'll see if Aaron Rodgers can extract the best out of him or Sammy Watkins and what happens there. But I think it's Sammy and Watson. Sammy Watkins, hmm. Christian Watson. Detroit Lions, to round out the NFC North, most important off-season addition.
1: Hmm. Uh, probably Aiden Hutchinson. Again, Aiden Hutchinson, I'd top draft pick every time. Um, yeah, look they they got they got lucky in the draft. They, I was going to do something different, so it's okay. Okay, I think I don't think they would have anticipated there was much of a chance Aiden Hutchinson was Aiden Hutchinson was going to be there too. Certainly. So there was like a period, right, of like a month and a half, maybe six weeks, where it looked very unlikely that he was going to be anything other than the, other than the number one overall pick. Um. And I know, like this is, hey, PFF has the Hutch podcast, so we were like, I just the betting market will tell you that, right? He went, he was the number one, he was the favorite for the number one overall pick for a decent stretch of this pre-draft process. It had nothing to do with us uh, talking to him for a podcast series. He was the number one prospect, and then the closer we got to the draft, like very the last week, it was like, hey, the lion, the the Jags are really going to do this Trayvon Walker thing, um, and they do. All of a sudden the Lions, like, run in the card. They get Aiden Hutchinson number two overall. I I mean, that's big, right? If if people were right and Hutchinson is the number one prospect in this draft, that is potentially transformative to that defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, Hutchinson makes sense. Um, I was going to go Jamison Williams, you know, just to – not just to mix it up, but, again, I think, you know, more value on the perimeter. And if if he hits, if Jamison Williams hits, and and they traded up from 32 to 12 to get him, even though – Um. It feels like a huge move. We, we talked about the, the Vikings maybe winning that trade. But, I mean, it's, it's a big investment by the Lions there. Um, and Jamison Williams, the deep threat, the health. But if he hits, I think he's the, the biggest offseason addition for the Lions. It transforms that receiving core. A guy like DJ Chark is added just for one year. But now you're talking there's a chance Jameson Williams and Amonra St. Brown become a pretty good combination and you still want to add more you know going into next year for whether it's jared goff or who the next quarterback is but you're getting that very important position back on track at receiver if you're the lions yeah so so i understand hutchinson of course but i'll go jameson williams there all right let's go afc north now a couple more divisions to get through a few more uh baltimore ravens biggest offseason addition
1: I think it could well end up being Linderbaum. Really? Yeah. Um, Look, the narrative on him went on a weird roller coaster ride throughout the entire pre-draft process. When we finished the college football season, it's like Linderbaum is one of the special offensive linemen, right? The way that Panay Sewell was being talked about last year, maybe not quite the way that... Uh, quentin nelson was being talked about but in that same kind of ballpark it's like this is one of the special offensive linemen that comes around every now and again the best center pff has ever seen enter the draft um and we were asking questions like is he so good that you need to start throwing out everything you know about center value right the way you did with quentin nelson guards don't get taken at number six overall yeah but like look at that guard Okay, fine, we'll take him at six overall. And not only did he justify that, he's more than justified. He's been like arguably the best offensive lineman in the NFL, most valuable since coming into the league. If Linderbaum is that kind of guy, and even if he's not Nelson, if he's, um, you know, if he's a Panay Sewell caliber type of prospect, if he is as good as he looked in college, it's, A, it's an absolute freaking steal for where Baltimore got him, and B, it'll change that offensive line. Like the whole thing will look better. Because Linderbaum is there in the middle with his freakish athleticism and just dominating people in the run game. And that will, for a team in Baltimore that is predicated off the run game first and foremost, I, that can be a huge needle mover.
0: You're, no, you're absolutely right, especially if they do tap into his skill set more, right? And they do play to his strengths and, you know, my all my rants about how he's a great fit. He's a playmaker, just like adding a receiver, just like adding a running back. He is a a he has a skill set to build around and uh if the ravens do that i could see tyler linderbaum absolutely being that guy I, i'll say kyle hamilton though their first first round pick again we're really going out on big limbs here um but kyle hamilton because he could do a lot of different things in the secondary and will the ravens who a couple of years ago we were talking about creating positionless football are they going to create more positionless football with Kyle Hamilton who has linebacker skills who has free safety skills he has tight end eraser skills how do they use Kyle Hamilton so I'll go with him being the most important player plus he's the guy um, you know he's their first first round pick they get the two him and Linderbaum I think it's both of those guys together Um, could also be the great Morgan Moses
1: I was going to say, how can you let this go by without suggesting that the great Morgan Moses is their most That's important Moses. Mo- Mo- okay, step- it's really Morgan Moses. He has to step into the presumably giant shoes vacated by Alejandro Villanueva. It's right. So it's really Morgan Moses. The most, because the other thing Morgan
0: Moses allows, it's like, man, you just filled your right tackle spot for $5 million a year. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Now you're freed up to draft Tyler Linderbaum, right? You're, you're freed up to draft Kyle Hamilton. And Morgan Moses is the domino that lets that all happen. The
1: domino. It's the domino. I don't think that's... that. It's the okay. first domino. It's the yeah. first domino
0: to allow other dominoes of Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum moves.
1: Yeah. All right, all right. It's, it's fine. It's another negative metaphor for me. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is.
0: Bengals are up next. Who's the most important Bengal offseason addition?
1: So the Bengals are a classic one where... You're going to say more than one. You're just going to yeah, say the offensive line. Yeah, it's the line. aggregate. The Bengals have done it in the aggregate. They fixed an offensive line by throwing a ton of resources at it, but it spread across multiple players um, as distinct from Jacksonville, say, just handing all of the money to Brandon Scherf or Tampa Bay, who went in with a specific target of, like, we need one guy. The Bengals brought in Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, Lyle Collins, um, and gave themselves the flexibility to not have to do anything in the draft until, you know, the fourth round, the fifth round, beyond. So it's it's the it's the aggregate of those moves. I don't think any one of them is the most important. If I had to pick one of those offensive line moves, it would be Lyle Collins, a right tackle. But it's that aggregate move that that
0: is it for the Bengals. Yeah, I mean there's no doubt. Uh did you hear Joe Burrow talking about his uh sack totals and
1: Yes. Did you hear him? So the start of that clip, he he said "sex" a lot like "sex." He did, yeah, a lot, a lot like he said "sex." You know, is this like one of those? Uh... No, go ahead. And then then he you know then he started talking about good sex and bad sex. <laughs> I think he knew what he was doing. It can be good sex on third down, <laughs> depending on what you're trying to do. Yeah. So yeah, I, I heard it. What of it? Let's
0: assume he was talking about the football play, okay. Any thought, you know, thoughts on the philosophy? Of what he was trying to say there. He was basically, to paraphrase, he was basically trying to say, if you get sacked, sacked uh-huh. on third down, um, it's not as bad because you're going to give up the ball anyway. And he will get sacked at times on third down while uh, trying to extend plays. Right? If the if, you know, if the initial play call's not there. He will extend the play to try to pick up a first down because, I guess, putting words into his mouth, but theoretically he's saying, well, a check down isn't getting it done. Therefore, the difference between a check down and me losing five or six yards on a sack is negligible. Um, I think you could argue that the check down's better because there's still a chance that could turn into it. But he's trying to say there's still a chance I can convert the first down if I extend the play.
1: Yeah, I mean, what he said wasn't crazy. Like, he made a lot of decent, he made some good points there. Um, What it does, to an extent, is ignore, like, the taking hits generally is not without cost, you know? Right. Like, it's not just the trade-off between, It's not just that one play that you're living for here. Right. It's not just the trade-off between, like, that big play you can make to extend the drive and a failed drive. You also have to factor in, yeah, but, like, one of them results in a giant 300-pound guy falling on you. The other one probably doesn't. So you have to weigh that up as well. Like, there are quarterbacks out there that simply don't take those hits, and those guys tend to be the ones that last an awful long time. So if you want to be the quarterback that takes the Bengals to, you know, a lot of Super Bowls and has a 15-year career and, you know, puts himself up there with Peyton Manning and blah, 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 you can't always take those hits just because that's the most likely way of extending that drive and keeping things going. So I think generally – his point basically was that, hey, the sack total isn't telling the whole story, right? And there are reasons sometimes where I'm extending these plays or yeah. taking more time. This is true. I think it's also fair to say that he's probably still erring too far on that side. And you would like him to rate it in a bit in the other direction for, for his own sake, if anything else.
0: Completely agree. It is funny how the, um, like the offensive line narrative hasn't changed. But the narrative about taking hits has changed. Because last year, he got hurt. On a sack, he got hurt on that play. So last year, at this point, it's like we have to protect Joe. Got to protect Joe. Got to do whatever he can to protect Joe. And last year, he played. He played a little crazy at times. like he played a little crazy, like he was describing. Right, he was keeping plays alive and and chucking it up and and just trying to create. And there are questions about that going forward. We've talked a lot about it. it's not about QB size and you know durability and all that stuff. Playing style matters. And if Burrow does take these hits over and over again, it'll affect his play style. The same way um, we think it affects a run-first quarterback, or it's described to affect a run-first quarterback who, who runs the ball a lot. So uh, we'll both cheat here and say the aggregate offensive line, in part because it's probably going to give more opportunities to make plays, but in part because we're also going to learn more about Joe Burrow, his playing style, how much the sack totals are actually on him versus the pass blocking because the Bengals should be much better up front. Uh, Cleveland Browns. Hmm. Tough one. Who could it be? All right, it's Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah, for many, many reasons. It's
0: the most important offseason addition. Yeah, that's it. Hmm. Um, they yeah. just added Davian Clowney per uh, Instagram or something. They did. They did. That's
1: nice. It, it sure. Yeah. Good addition. Yeah. Look, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. The they not only traded a huge amount of trade collateral to get to Sean Watson. They then handed him an unprecedented 200 and whatever it was, million-dollar fully guaranteed contract for a guy that we still don't know if he's going to get suspended for any period or longer or the ramifications of these 22 civil lawsuits that are still out there hanging over him. So it's it's franchise-defining. That move is franchise-defining, and we yet we have no idea what it is defining you know, we said a few years ago with that Raiders draft with the other three first-round picks, that was franchise-defining. And we had a pretty good idea what it was defining at the time, and it wasn't good. The Browns move for Deshaun Watson, it is franchise-defining, but I don't think anybody has any idea what it's defining yet. From a football
0: standpoint, there's a lot of play here. We've got a Browns team in 2020 that made the playoffs, right, for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield played good football from Week 7 on. Last year... We thought they did a great job in the offseason building their roster. I think they still have a very good roster. Baker played hurt, below-average football last year. They did not make the playoffs. Somewhat close. Didn't make it, though. And now Watson comes in. And the last time we saw Deshaun Watson, one of the bigger anomalies, I think, in NFL history, right? There's a few seasons in NFL history where you could say a quarterback legitimately played really, really well and a team only won a handful of games. That just doesn't happen historically. So... Uh, Watson played really well in 2020, the last time we saw him play and the Texans won four games. So I think putting Watson onto a better roster, seeing if he could replicate, that was, that was also the one year that he really played at that level, right? He'd been trending that way. First year he had played at that level. Plus, you know, how much, you know, what, what's he going to be as a player? You know, again, using PFF terms, is he a 90 plus quarterback going, going forward now? Is he a low eighties? PFF grade type of quarterback. That's a big difference, obviously, too. And we've only seen that one year of elite play from Deshaun Watson. But uh, clearly, I think the Browns are going to get an upgrade at QB, and they already have a good roster, and they're in this loaded AFC North. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers has to be Kenny Pickett.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not Mitch Trubisky. They're the one team that drafted – no other quarterback was drafted before 73. Just Pickett. Yep. So Kenny Pickett's the most important one for the Steelers.
1: Yes, um, yeah, I'm the the first big decision they've had to make a quarterback since they drafted Ben Roethlisberger back in 2004. 2004, um, and never Our had a draft year. Sam <laughs> didn't have a losing season since since that point. Tomlin hadn't had one. Roethlisberger didn't have one. Now you, the, the last losing season they had was the one that enabled them to get Roethlisberger at 11 overall. I think they got him that year. This is the next big decision. And in a year where everybody seemed to hate the quarterback class um, and there were a lot of big-name veterans available, they grabbed Mitchell Trubisky as their stopgap rather than get involved in the sweepstakes for one of these other big-name quarterbacks. And then in the draft, they got Kenny Pickett in the first round at 20 overall when the next quarterbacks weren't going to go until the 70s. So, yeah, that is a... That's a pretty huge statement to make. Oh, I wanted to see more Mitch Trubisky. Oh, you're going to see it. Don't worry. You're going to get... You think he's going to start? Yes.
0: If they drafted Pickett at 20, it's in part because they believe the whole narrative that he's ready to step in.
1: No. I mean, Trubisky...
0: That's got to be part of their evaluation, Trubisky, right? Trubisky was drafted
1: at two, and he didn't start. True. Two? Three, wouldn't
0: he? He was two, yeah. I always... They had three,
1: but they traded up to two. Right. Two. Lock him in. Yeah. Got gotta secure the tr- gotta secure the bisque. Um yeah, he was drafted at two and he didn't start. Yeah. Because so they had we'll Mike Lennon, so little... they just gave the three year forty five million dollar contract to. True. It's the same thing. This is a ridiculous history is literally repeating itself. Trubisky is being Trubiskied by Kenny Pickett. Well that's like Mariota
0: being Mariota got Tannehill'd, and then Mariota went, tried to go Tannehill car and didn't do it, you know. That's so what happens.
1: Yeah, but that one's gonna work. This one's actually its going to happen It's actually going
0: to happen. Um, so obviously it's Kenny Pickett. Not much else to say here. Steelers ride and die with Kenny. His little hands. In Pittsburgh. Small hands. Uh, let's wrap it up with the Easts. NFC East and then the AFC. Starting in the NFC, the Dallas Cowboys most important offseason edition. Hmm. Jerry Jones and their draft board. <laughs> got to be the draft board. God, I love that they show that every year. It's, it's got to be Tyler Smith, at, presumably playing guard, first-round pick out
1: of Tulsa. Uh, yeah, I, the, it, like that's important, but I'm not 100% sure how much they need him to be starting. Like as much as my point was more that, hey, look, you've got two offensive line positions that are kind of positions of need, right? Not that they're dire needs, But if you're going to say that left guard is an issue because Connor Williams isn't there anymore, I think you also need to say that right tackle is an issue because Terrence Steele isn't great. On the other hand, both those guys graded like in the 60s, which is average. That's your embodiment of creep back toward average. Um, So I'm not 100% sure that either of those guys moves the needle as much as adding Jalen Tolbert in the third round. Now, he's a third rounder. But again, this comes back to like, where did you rank him? How good do you think he is? PFF thought he was significantly better than that. He went pick 88. We had him at 54 on the big board. Um, I had him as, like, number six or seven or something in my wide receiver rankings. I think Tolbert is a really good player, and he reminds me a little bit of guys like Michael Gallup, who who obviously is already on that roster. And he's now the guy that gets the opportunity to step in and make sure that they can still run three deep at wide receiver and cause teams some problems. So – They lost. They traded away Amari Cooper, but they also let walk Cedric Wilson in the offseason. So they weren't just losing one wide receiver, they were losing two. CeeDee Lamb and Mike Gallup are obviously both really good players, but simply having a third threat is important.
0: So yeah, I can can get behind Jalen Tolbert just because let's go back through Dak's career here, right? Yeah. 2016, rookie, really good. 17 and 18 by PFF standards. He took a step back. 18 is when they traded for Amari Cooper and using EPA and PFF grade everything got better essentially since Amari Cooper showed up Dak got much better we know that there is always the quarterback's the driver but there's some dependency on receivers say what you want about Amari Cooper who's now you know kind of run his course in two different places but Dak's production got so much better when Amari Cooper showed up and of course you make it better with Michael Gallup you make it better with C.D. Lamb so it's not just Cooper, it's everything got better, right? And we, we ranked the receiving core for the Cowboys top three, what, the last three or four years? Or at least since C.D. Lamb showed up there. Um, so can, t- does Tolbert need to directly replace Amari Cooper? I don't think so, but you, you're better off having three options rather than just two, right? And C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup, you feel like those are pretty dependable guys. James Washington also gets added to the mix. He's been an okay four right, for his career. So if Jalen Tur- Tolbert becomes a legit part, a top three receiver for the Cowboys, I think that's a fair argument with him over Tyler Smith.
1: Yeah, particularly if Tyler Smith you know, doesn't start day one or isn't particularly good day one. I, Tolbert is the guy that makes a material difference. I don't know if there's a more supporting cast sensitive quarterback in the NFL than Dak Prescott. Like, you tinker with that guy's receivers or his offensive line. The supporting cast around him changes slightly. And his play, I think, dramatically shifts one way or the other. So you get rid of Amari Cooper because you were unhappy at the value that he was providing. But he was still providing value. It may not have been surplus value, given what you were paying. Yeah, that's fair. But he was providing value to that offense. So that's value you need to replace. And if you don't, things are going to go badly.
0: All right, let's go uh, Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of power offseason additions. Nothing bigger than AJ Brown, though. Yeah, it's got to be AJ Brown. Yeah, I mean Jordan Davis is bigger, <laughs> but maybe not impact-wise. I unless he's agree. jumping on something, then it's impact-wise because he's got a lot of weight. He, and speed he to him.
1: No, I agree. It's uh, it's AJ Brown. That's a that's a move that should completely transform that entire um, that entire offense, the entire team. We did not get a chance to discuss
0: the James Bradbury signing by the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe now is a good time, or we Mm -hmm.
1: could—I
0: mean, we'll talk about it when we preview the season next year. But Bradbury, they pick him up uh, after he gets released by the Giants on the cheap, and man, that's just good business. He fits the scheme well, and all of a sudden, the Eagles go through this offseason, and— Slowly start adding impact players and impact players and rounding out their roster. And they still look like, like Zach McPherson was going to be their starting corner opposite Darius Slay uh, with, Av- with Avante Maddox in the slot. And all of a sudden, boom, James Bradbury's available. You don't have to pay him $16 million a year. You're paying him on the cheap. You're not losing comp picks in the future and all that stuff. And he's a good scheme fit. And all of a sudden, it's James Bradbury opposite Darius Slay. Even though Bradbury's not coming off a great year. He's a good NFL corner who was really good two years ago. This I just love this move over off of the Eagles.
1: Yeah, and and should be better when you can have him opposite Darius Slay, and he doesn't yeah. have to be the best guy in the secondary. Like that's important as well. I there, there might not be a team that's had a better offseason than the Philadelphia Eagles, top to bottom, um,
0: and it started slow, right? I mean, there was, wasn't there a point in free agency where they would added like one player, right? I mean, it's like they, it was. Yeah, but this is
1: part of Hassan Reddick, and that was like it. And it was they, Hassan Reddick, right? And they re-signed you know a few key players. Um, even relatively low depth guys, the the great Boston Scott, uh, re-signed Greg Ward, Anthony Harris. Like these are guys that will contribute, but not necessarily take up a ton of money. They release Fletcher Cox, only to end up bringing him back on a one year deal on a cheaper contract. So they got cheaper for one of the guys that's been, you know, the uh, a stalwart in that defensive line. Hassan Reddick was their one sort of free agent impact move. They end up trading for AJ Brown. They pick up James Bradbury late in the day. Their draft was one of people's favorites between um, Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean who has the potential to be a steal of this draft and look Nicobe N- Dean could be in the conversation for like most important offseason moves hmm. if he is yeah. like if he's as good in the NFL as he looked in college, which was the best player on a, on a defense loaded with NFL talent like absolutely stuffed full of it the, that Georgia defense is insane and the players are going to be sending to the draft well, this year, next year. Nikoby mm-hmm. Dean was the best player on that defense, pretty consistently. If he's that guy in the NFL, and hey, Jordan Davis is still in front of him, by the way, if that's a factor, as is now, <laughs> right. as is now Fletcher Cox, and like he's got some people in front of him to keep him clean. If that was an, a determining factor in how good he is, like if he's that player, that that's transformative for the defense.
0: Yeah, it really ended up being a nice, a nice offseason for the Eagles. Uh, with, of course, I think A.J. Brown being the most important player, right? We've described this. We talked about it last show. I described the difference between A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, at least in my mind, the ability of A.J. Brown to take over games and uh, the Eagles' ability now to win in the pass game, right? I mean, they ran the ball like crazy right around week after week six or seven last year. I always talk about having options to win. Now you have the option to win in the pass game, I assume, with, uh, with A.J. Brown being there on the outside. Uh, Washington Commanders hmm. has to be Carson Wentz. Anyone else even in the running?
1: Uh, no, I mean, Wentz is it, but uh, Jahan Dotson is a pretty important one as well. Um, you could make the argument long-term because we don't
0: know if Wentz is going to be here beyond a year. Yeah. Knowing the way the Wentz career path has gone, that Dotson choosing him— Um, He was the one who went 15 overall. I kept saying, uh, "Where did? Where he go?" 16. 16. Okay, he went after Kenyon Green, but grabbing Dotson that high, um, important because you know it's just it was higher than we anticipated for whatever that's worth. I mean, look, but either way, that's the guy that they went and said we're gonna get this receiver, Dotson.
1: Washington's draft is an example of the Mayo drafting, right, where the data says there is. There, there might not be value in getting people that slide in a draft board, but there is There's a lack of value. You're losing value by reaching on players. And Washington's entire draft was a draft of reaches. Um, the PFF big board had Jahan Dotson, 56. Now, okay, the consensus board had him higher, I think, but 16 was still a massive reach relative to any public board that's out there. Um, Same thing was true, like, all the way down the draft. Darian Mathis in the second round was drafted, like, 50 spots higher than his position on the big board. Brian Robinson Jr. drafted, like, 50 spots higher than his position on the the PFF big board. So just generally, this draft for Washington is one where they have gone out on a limb and reached for players pretty much every single round, which the data says is bad process. And, okay, they might hit. They might end up getting proved right. But generally, those picks don't work out, and they are reaches for a reason— and that, if that happens for a guy like Jahan Dotson, you know, you spent 16th overall pick on that guy. That's, that's a pretty big pick to be making a significant reach like that on.
0: So longer term, it could be Dotson, but for right now, three more years of Carson Wentz at, you know, 26 to $28 million
1: per year. So I'll go. The, so it's funny. Washington fans now have started to get because, you know, Wentz is their quarterback, right? So you've got to rally round. The guy. Of course. Defend him. Um, and, you know, Wentz right now, generally, league wide, is the butt of quite a lot of jokes. You know? Like, he would be one of the more. That's kind of unfair, though. So he would be one of the more um, mocked quarterbacks in the NFL, right? If not, but mostly because of the photo shoots, though. <laughs> I mean, not mostly, but that didn't help. Certainly, when you dress like a hot dog at your introductory press conference, you're not going to have less abuse at the end of that than you are at the start. Um, but also just generally, you know, he's, he's been kind of funny recently to watch play. <laughs> it's kind of entertaining. Um, well, Washington fans will point out, it's like, ah, oh, he's got one of the lowest interception rates in NFL history. To which the obvious answer is, so does basically every current NFL quarterback. Like, the league has changed. Like, the if you look yeah. at the list of, like, top interception rates in NFL history, it's all people that are playing right now or people that retired, like, last Tuesday. Other than Jameis. Pretty much everybody right. but Jameis. So, you know, there okay. are there is still a Jameis out there. But, like, everybody else basically has one of the best interception rates of NFL history. The other thing with Carson Wentz is, yeah, like, he doesn't necessarily have a ton of of terrible plays. But the ones he does have are pretty special, you know? That they was were, last year. I mean, that was absolutely last year with the Colts. Carlsberg isn't a big beer brand over here, right? I don't think so. It's, so it's, I forget where it's from, but it's some European lager or some description. But they had this advertising campaign where their thing was like, Carlsberg doesn't do X, but if they did, they'd probably be the best X in the world, right? And they would just, whatever the thing was, they'd yeah. change it. Like, holidays, blah, blah, blah. they just cycle through. Like, you know, that, it, it reminds me a little bit of that, right? Like, Wentz doesn't throw the most interceptions in the world, but they might be the best interceptions in the world, right? Like,
0: left-handed. <laughs> They're going to be left-handed from the end zone to lot, in like, overtime. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, they, he might not throw more of them than everybody else, but the ones he does make up for it, you know? There's, like, there's there's <laughs> there's like there's multiple interceptions worth in every pick that he
0: throws. Well, Wentz is definitely the most important addition, I think, for the commanders. We've got... Um, He's a couple years removed from 2019, ranking number 11 in PFF War. But in 2020, the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. Last year, dead smack in the middle, 18 out of 39 just using War. So right in the middle.
1: And last year, you you have to bear in mind that last year was being like, Propped up by Frank Reich and the desperate attempt to re- to salvage Carson Wentz. Now wait, now wait a second here. I think he
0: landed right where we anticipated, which is middle of the pack. And you just don't know. Like he ranked 18th in WAR, right? Okay, let's just use that as a baseline. When you talk middle of the pack, you know that could be as high as 12th. That could be as low as 24th. I mean, there's there's a range there in the middle of the pack. Um, I think somebody rightfully brought up the point that you, last year you were you were bullish on the. Uh, the commanders team that used to be called the football team because mm-hmm. they had Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. at quarterback, a bigger roller coaster than Carson Wentz mm-hmm. historically. Isn't Wentz an upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick?
1: I mean, he's an upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick last year because he played like forty snaps and then didn't play again. Ryan
0: Fitzpatrick's the the totality of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Carson Wentz is an upgrade,
1: but the totality. No, if you the last few years of Ryan Fitzpatrick would probably be better than. Carson Wentz I think they were which was the I mean 20 and 19 and 20 were like that was the optimism right the or the that was the optimism that you had about Ryan Fitzpatrick is that hey he's playing the best football of his career this deep into his career and the last few years he's given you okay it's it's been a wild roller coaster ride but it sort of spits out as 18, average.
0: 18 through 20 Fitz was better I think every single
1: season yeah so that was my logic then, is that if you get a full season of Ryan Fitzpatrick, he'll probably spit you out league average play, and league average play on this team is enough to take you somewhere significant. It's also, by the way, he was significantly cheaper than Carson Wentz, which is another important element there.
0: True. All right, Carson Wentz. I'll go with him. You're saying? Well, I'll
1: give you the f- that Wentz's box score numbers are prettier. Like his touchdown-interception yeah. ratio will generally be prettier than Fitzpatrick's. Yeah, I mean, that's whatever it is.
0: New York Giants rounding out the NFC East, most important offseason addition. Brian Dayball. Yeah. See how we do this, though? We didn't say uh, Joe Shane, the new, the new GM, because Dayball's an offensive head coach. Yeah. And Dayball's got this history of, if he was a defensive head coach, I'd probably go Joe Shane. That's, that's the GM. Got to get this roster back on track. And maybe Shane's the answer. Maybe. But um, I think there's something to Dayball getting the best out of Josh Allen. And whether it's Daniel Jones this year or the next quarterback— Dable's got to do that again.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So to me, quarterbacks like Daniel Jones, most people have written off Daniel Jones already. I think there's at least we know how important changes in environment are to quarterbacks. So I think at the very minimum, if you go and change the regime, new GM, new head coach, everything is shifting. You kind of owe it to yourself as a franchise to at least get a fair evaluation on the guy you've already got sitting in the building. Now, he's probably not the guy, right, because he hasn't shown enough to say that he is yet. On the other hand, his offensive line has been garbage. It's been a bad system. The, thing, the, the team franchise has been heading in the wrong direction. That's why everybody got fired. So I think you owe it to yourself to find out if you actually have a viable quarterback in the building already before you go, okay, now we've got to figure out how we, get this, how we get the next one. And a guy like Brian Dayball, and being able to rebuild some of that offensive line, and add you know, hopefully the receiving core stays healthy this year, gives you the chance to do that. So I think it's important to have a guy like Dayball in there, who's able to at least give you a decent idea of what Daniel Jones is at the end of year one before you before then. So it almost So okay, how about this? Year one, Brian Dayball is the most most important person for the New York Giants years two and beyond it may end up becoming joe shane if daniel jones isn't the guy because then the most important thing becomes finding, well, who's the quarterback finding the next
0: quarterback on field this year though to evan neal cave on thibodeau the two top picks i'd go evan neal getting that offensive line to uh to creep back toward average but i agree on dayball as, as a whole because i think he he'll have the most he'll have the biggest impact in the quarterback development um but obviously new regime so it's going to be head coach and the gm all right, let's round it out with the AFC East, starting with the New England Patriots, most important off-season addition. Uh, I'm going Devonte Parker. Okay, and it's funny because that's it's, it's not that it was an afterthought, but it's just you know mid-round pick going to get Devonte Parker, but in a year where everybody in New England saying get Mac Jones some weapons. The Patriots are another team that aren't going the star route. They're going, look at this entire group, right? Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar is still there. Tyquan Thornton in the second round. Kendrick Bourne, probably their most dependable receiver last year, right? So they're four and five deep, kind of, at receiver as far as options go. That might be enough when you add it to Hunter Henry and John New Smith at tight end. But Devontae Parker adds something different to that equation. Not speed, because they don't have any speed anywhere besides Thornton, but size, ball skills, contested catchability, guy that can beat man coverage even if he's not going to get open against man coverage. So I'll say Devontae Parker here. Uh, also I, could be Cole Strange.
1: I, Cole Strange, I think, is a pretty important player for them because they're need, like, he needs to come in and replace a good offensive lineman. They traded away Shaq Mason for a fifth-round pick, spent a first-round pick on a guy that was a reach. Cole strange again. the The idea being that there is there is a thing about reaches not generally being good. Um, so that's an important pick. I would say as well the guy that's stepping in to replace Josh McDaniels, but we're not 100 percent sure who that is. You know, they basically just got the band back together in terms of like anybody that used to work for Belichick in the past. now well, we got some coaching o- openings. Jump in. Let's see what we can do. But nobody seems to have any idea who's actually like running the show. Like who's going to call plays? Who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Maybe Joe Judge. At which point, like Joe Judge becomes a pretty important addition to this team. A former special teams, you know, coordinator. The the, the first time round, I guess, for Bill Belichick becomes the head coach of the Giants. Doesn't go well. Now he's potentially the guy that's replacing Josh McDaniels, who for all his failings the first time around as a head coach has been like a f- pretty steady hand as a an offensive coordinator and play caller for a decade. So now you got Mac Jones staring into a really important year. The pieces are changing around him in terms of offensive line, receiving core and like Joe Judge might be the play caller, might be the guy running the offense.
0: Matt Patricia Matt Patricia is a senior football advisor but seemingly having a lot more impact on the offensive side of the ball. Joe Judge merely an offensive assistant. Uh, we right? also like they haven't named an offensive coordinator, we don't know exactly what's happened. Maybe Belichick's Belichick's gonna be the first head coach to call offensive and defensive plays.
1: They appear to be very specifically all of the coaching staff in New England, like saying we're just g- positionless defense, we're gonna be a titleless coaching staff, right? We're just a group of coaches here. According to the I mean, just
0: going to Patriots.com. According to Patriots.com, they have two running backs coaches. Yeah. Ivan Fears, who's been there forever, uh, Vinny Sinceri, the former defensive back. Two running backs coaches, but, but they have an assistant else, offensive line right. coach, but no offensive line coach. Right? It's 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 just funny. I mean, I don't know how updated this is, but like Gerard, it's just very funny
1: Gerard Mayo, I think was talking about how like look, we I, we don't think that titles are a useful thing. Like it's just. It, Puts people yeah. in a box, whatever. We're just we're just coaches out here. We're just football coaches. Yeah, I mean, obviously they have people. some
0: sort of criteria for <laughs> who's working with whom and when and all that stuff. They just they're not announcing it in a title.
1: Yeah, but well, there's probably a reason that people like the rest of the league does this this way. You know, so whoever is going to be running the offense in the most like important way and calling plays might be the most important thing. we might never know who <laughs> it is.
0: Like, people are just going to be looking at the New England sideline b- between plays, like, who's talking? What
1: if they just have a sheet up? Yeah. Like somebody behind there. Or, like, there's five coaches in a line all with the, the play call sheet in front yeah. of their face, and you can't tell which it's one's talking. going to be great.
0: I really think it's it's time for Belichick to be the first coach, probably since the 20s, to call offensive and defensive plays. I assume it happened at some point when football is in its yeah. uh, infancy.
1: Or all the coaches are up in the booth, right, in a line, and they're all just talking in the headset constantly, one of them's calling plays down, but you have no idea which one. It's like, you know, in college where they have the the signs, right, and like two of them are decoys or whatever. Is there any one of them? You you don't know which one it is because you don't know which the guys, the quarterback's looking at. That's what the Patriots are going to do with play callers. Three guys are going to have the headset and a play calling sheet. They're all calling stuff in, and only the quarterback knows which is real. So, yeah,
0: that's going to be great. So whoever's calling the plays and or Devontae Parker, most important (laughs) Patriots this offseason. Uh, Dolphins, most important offseason addition. I'm debating between Mike McDaniel or Tyreek Hill.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I think it's Tyreek Hill. I, I think their offensive line additions have been more important than Tyreek Hill. But, it, again, that's in the aggregate. I don't think I can argue that Teron Armstead is more important individually than Tyreek Hill. Man, this is going to be
0: – it's a its a crazy offseason. If the Dolphins didn't even have – so there's a head coaching change on top of all this stuff. If they just had, uh, you know, two huge additions at left tackle and left guard and Connor Williams and Teron Armstead had the big trade for Tyreek Hill – had all this other stuff going it's like all right how are the Dolphins but then you add in Mike McDaniel as the new head coach coming over from the Shanahan branch and or tree then man there's a lot of there's a lot of answers here for the Dolphins but once again long term it's probably the head coach it's probably McDaniel but I gotta go Tyree Kill because of what he's going to bring to this offense with with Jalen Waddle with the speed of you know with Mike and all that stuff
1: yeah I mean he was I'm not sure there's a single receiver that affects the game every down more than Tyreek Hill like I think Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL Devontae Adams doesn't change coverages the way Tyreek Hill does because teams are terrified of what he can do like Devontae Adams is good and he's athletic and he's the best route runner in the league. But if you give up a step of separation to Devontae Adams, you can get it back, right? Now, maybe not in time. He'll, he'll be open, and if Aaron Rodgers hits him with the pass, then it's a catch, and you've given up a big play. If you give up separation to Tyreek Hill, you can't get it back. Like, if he keeps running, you won't catch him. So that's, like, that's a permanent problem on that play. And that can be a permanent problem that means not just if the ball arrives, then it's a catch, but it means not only is it a catch – But it might be a touchdown because you're not stopping him. You're going to rely on somebody else closing that gap and making the play. So Tyreek Hill can do that at any moment. And if you put him in one-on-one coverage, he will do that at any moment, which means you can't put him in one-on-one coverage. You have to have some kind of help. And that's why all of a sudden Kansas City is seeing too high everywhere because you can't just have one guy isolated on Tyreek Hill and a safety patrolling the middle of the field because that safety won't make it at the sideline And if you isolated the the corner on Tyreek Hill, it's a touchdown immediately.
0: Also, immediately, the Dolphins might have the fastest team in the NFL, fastest offense. I mean, just adding Raheem Mostert, his 4-3 speed, assuming he's back healthy. Gesicki, a tight end, is a great athlete. Waddle is a 4-3 guy in Tyreek Hill, as you mentioned. Um, Is Mike McDaniel, though, the most important part? Because you've made the point, you've got to figure out how to make these pieces work. I've made the point, I think you just run football plays and the football players will take over. Hill and Waddle and their speed and their athleticism and all that stuff. But do you need to craft touches for Tyreek? Do you have to craft touches for Waddle and make this whole thing work? Um, sort of, kind of, but Mike McDaniel, it's it's on him to, to pull all that together.
1: Yeah, I mean, he becomes the most important player, or the most important uh, person in terms of maximizing the impact of all that. Like, Bring in Tyree Hill. Tyreek Hill will change defenses every single play. Now, in order to make sure that Tyree Hill plus Jalen Waddell plus the other guys you have on that offense equals the maximum impact that it can have, that's on McDaniel.
0: All right, got two more teams left, unless I miscounted somewhere. New York Jets, most important offseason addition for the Jets
1: uh i mean three first round picks there's quite a lot to choose from for the jets um they made some big signings in free agency as well lakin tomlinson a big addition to that offensive line a a curious one given that he essentially plays the same position as elijah vera tucker did last year so it it's always slightly unusual when a team targets a player that's going to necessitate a position change somewhere but should in theory upgrade that offensive line DJ Reed is an important uh, addition to the secondary um, I think ultimately <sighs> Sauce Gardner Ooh.
0: sauce at four yeah. four overall because they didn't have any cor- I mean they, they added DJ Reed but they had one of the worst cornerback rooms in the NFL last year and now looking at DJ Reed plus Sauce Gardner pushing Bryce Hall to you know Say cornerback three, which I love. I like Bryce Hall as a player. Yeah,
1: turn a weakness into a strength. Yeah, I mean, Sauce Gardner is this very uh, unusual and uh, unusual prospect, and one actually that I think fits really well in this defense. Like I, I, I always think that Sauce Gardner was slightly miscast or misdescribed in the pre-draft process because of his freakish length and his size and all those kinds of things. He, he looks like like a prototypical press man cover corner, right? The classic kind of guy that belongs in that Bill Belichick man coverage system. He doesn't really play like that, though. Um, it's not that he isn't good at press coverage, but I think he's actually really good in zone coverage. And all of a sudden, you put him in a defense where he gets to play a kind of Richard Sherman role, um, be isolated a little bit in single coverage, but be playing a lot of zone and a lot of off coverage. I think that's actually where he's best at. So kind of quietly, I think this is a perfect fit, maybe the perfect fit for him to land in. And if he can come in and be a number one corner or even just a good starter with DJ Reed opposite and DJ Reed with, with position versatility, able to move around if they need him to, all of a sudden that secondary becomes pretty good.
0: So maybe it does get a little redundant if we only talk about quarterbacks, head coaches, and receivers. And I agree with all the sauce stuff. I think that's awesome. I, I also think the fact that they made that move, right, after uh, not the Jets fans are or the organization, though they claimed they had the, uh, the big board. But I like the fact that they went corner at four and didn't force a pass rusher and all that stuff. Um, so it might, but going back to it, it might feel redundant adding all receivers and QBs and head coaches, but I think you know, that's what moves the needle. So I'm going Garrett Wilson here their other first round second first round pick number 10 overall because I, he doesn't have to be Devonte adams or Stephon diggs number one but he's got to be a high-end receiver because Corey davis needs to be a number two sam that's where Corey's gonna shine and get that's his how you get to the hall of fame that's how you get to the hall of fame as a high-end number two he's got to play james lofton or something you know he's got to be alvin harper he's got to be a number two to those uh so you need a number one and it's got to be garrett wilson um and it allows Elijah Moore to be a two-slash-three. I mean, it just it, – it, it makes everyone – it puts everybody into the proper slot, I would say, as far as the Jets receiving core, if Garrett Wilson becomes the true number one. Because it's all about Zach Wilson and his development. Um, there wasn't a lot of positive to take from Zach Wilson's season. It was a little bit better down the stretch than it was early on. You know, that's encouraging, but it doesn't you – know, we were also encouraged by Sam Darnold's, like, last four games of his rookie season. It doesn't really matter – uh, there's got to be drastic improvement from Zach Wilson, and Garrett Wilson is the is the most important piece for inducing that that drastic improvement yeah. from Zach Wilson.
1: I think he's a really important player. Sneakily, I think it's not even a, an off-season addition, really, but getting... Carl Lawson. Yeah. yeah, They haven't had him yet, so technically it's an addition. Um, addition by addition. Yeah. But not it, having him. We need to see what he is first, right? Yeah. He damaged his Achilles. Was, he was another Achilles, right? Um so he's had like since auburn maybe it might have even been his
0: last year of high school just a ton of injuries yeah big knee injuries and all that stuff so
1: and Lawson being healthy is huge and we said this with with david ajabo this year but an achilles is a really important injury for a past rusher in particular guys that rely on that explosion explosion off the line you need your achilles for that so first of all we get this we have to see is carlos Lawson the same guy but if he is Carl Lawson is an elite level pass rushing force, and the Jets have needed those. That's why they drafted Jermaine Johnson. Um, and if all of a sudden they can start to platoon those guys Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, Jermaine Johnson that, again, it's turning a weakness into a strength.
0: All right, let's wrap it up. Buffalo Bills. We usually start with the Bills, spend 30 minutes on the Bills, and then only five minutes on the other teams.
1: Yeah, now the instead, Bills are last. We've gone last. Most important addition and Why is it Vaughn Miller? <laughs> Uh, or is it someone else? Can we find anybody else that it makes sense? I mean you... Jameson Crowder. Jameson Crowder. He's gonna replace Cole Beasley. Punt God? Yeah. Um Yeah, I I mean, yeah you can, I think you can make that good argument. I think you can make an argument that Kyer Elam is pretty important, given that Levi Wallace left town, they he plugs straight in as a starter and if he stinks, that's a problem. I, I think you can make the argument that Elam's more important than von Miller. I think you can also make an argument that James Cook brings something to that offense that's different. And when you're, when you're already as good as Buffalo, so for most teams, adding a James Cook to the offense doesn't move the needle, right? When your needle is already redlining the way Buffalo's is, like the only thing that's going to move it is adding something that isn't there otherwise. And James Cook brings a skill set that isn't there in the backfield already. So he can add something to that group with, you know, give Josh Allen something else to work with that he hasn't had so far. So in almost, I think, maybe any other team, I would say James Cook really isn't moving the needle. But for Buffalo, he might. Brandon Bean
0: mentioned they were just trying to add some, uh, some yak ability in the draft between James Cook and uh, Khalil Shakir, the wide receiver out of Boise State. And it is interesting. That is kind of where the bills are from a roster standpoint they can go in and just target we just want guys who are better after the catch we have we have all the other stuff yeah right we have good pass catchers we have a great quarterback we have we've the offensive line's in good shape and we just want some yak in this draft and that's why they attached James Cook and uh Kalish here. Uh, so Kair Ilum you can make the case that he's the most important player number two corner opposite Tredavious White if he's if he's really good this defense becomes really good now. Vaughan, it's, it doesn't mean he's better than Von Miller as a player, but more important, I think you could have definitely make that case. But Von, Vaughan, Von's the guy they invested a ton of money in, and he kind of reversed his little decline down the stretch last year. He, you know, playoff Von showed up, so I'll—I'll I'll go with Von Miller as the guy because he has still has the ability to kind of take over games, and he's done it in the playoffs. He did it. At times last year for the Rams, and he was a huge piece of their Super Bowl run.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably uh, I think it's probably the right answer. What about um, replacing Brian Dable? That's pretty Ooh, important. That is important. You know, it, we've talked about Mahomes
0: and some of his his turnover, right? Having different receivers and all that stuff. Not having your uh, offensive coordinator slash the guy that that helps turn you around, Josh
1: Allen. Now again, we can't technically can't technically claim that one right because it was an in-house promotion they kept or promoted ken dorsey rather than went outside the building right so it's only a it's only an elevation not an addition
0: yeah we also don't know how much it's always tough to just when you're not in the building like who actually was who deserves credit for josh allen
1: yeah i mean it's more
0: yeah like josh allen deserves some credit (laughs) is it dable is it ken dorsey who's been there since 2019 as qb coach is it jordan palmer is it Jordan Palmer in the offseason, right? Everybody wants to, to lay claim to the uh, Josh Allen sure. superstar
1: rejuvenation. Is it you? It's not. I don't think it's me. I don't. You motivated him. I motivated Brady. I don't think I motivated oh, Josh true. Allen. Yeah, you, you're definitely credit for Brady. Yeah. For sure. Brady, there's something else came out recently about Brady, like, listening to all the hate, you know, like, listening to what people were saying and that motivating him. The man's, like, demented <laughs> <laughs> but he's never heard me speak.
0: I bet he has. I'm just positive.
1: Yeah. Tom's great. Oh, you've you've been, you know, you've been critical at times. Yeah, of course. I mean
0: unbiased analysts here, you gotta be critical when when people deserve criticism. Mm. Have to do it. All right, is that all thirty two teams? I don't think we forgot anybody. Better be. If we did It's your fault. Sorry. Sam will get to it in seven weeks when he gets
1: back here. No, you just have to you just have to deal with it without me. Okay. Deal with the hate. Six shows.
0: Without Sam, according to my calculation, five shows. Where are we here? Yeah, it should only be five, right? Show, preview, 2022 plan. Five shows without Sam. Now, Rick Spielman this Thursday. Send your questions in. We'll have Greg Rosenthal next week, I hope. I'll, you know, should have this all locked in. We'll have Trevor Sikama here talking, you know, good things about all your teams. And then uh, let me know if there's if there's a great guest, we don't do average guests here. a great guest mm. that you want to hear from. Um, and be sure to follow all of Sam's exploits on the uh, TikTok machine and, and all
1: that fun stuff TikTok machine. Yeah. Yeah, it's my my pin tweet has uh, this photo on there which will show you where the various social media accounts that this thing is going to be on and the uh, drives drivemenshealthforward.com is the link where you can donate to raise money for uh, various cancer-type uh, support. But the, the social media things there are the important ones because that's what we'll be posting. Photos, videos, stories of disasters and, you know, E-type Jags potentially being on the back of a AAA van for 700 miles or whatever needs to happen. You got this. I mean, look, I'm, it's going to make it. Hopefully.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it. It should be great. And uh, we'll miss you over here, but uh, we'll hold it down as best Good. we can you do don't, don't forget NFL pod you get 25% off all offseason here 25% off any PFF subscription over at PFF.com use the promo NFL pod thanks to our sponsors Sunday underdog fantasy taking us through the spring and the summer we'll see you again here on Thursday almost certainly with uh, former Vikings GM Rick Spielman oh, don't